Hello and welcome to another episode of the Uncommon Energy Podcast. On this week's episode, we'll be talking about another tournament, another IC, another set of registration issues. That's right. The Latin America International Championships had its fair share of registration issues. We'll talk about our thoughts on it and what things look like are going to be happening moving forward. The Peoria, Illinois Regional Championships get absolutely flooded by Kyogre winning its second regional championships in a row here in North America. We'll cover the results from that 1,700-person tournament on this episode. We will, of course, have Guess That Flavor Text, everyone's favorite segment of the show. And if you say it's not your favorite segment, you're just lying to yourself. We know it. You know it. Just, just be honest. Just be honest with yourself. And then we'll close out this week's episode by chatting about a bunch of new paradox rift cards that were revealed this is looking to be a pretty dang good set azul if you ask me my name is chip richie joined here as always by my friend and co-host azul gg what's up azul how we doing buddy how was your uh travel back from good old peoria uh it was pretty good doing pretty good um peoria was okay i didn't have a great tournament run i did drop which i'm not like very bothered by or anything like that but I mean, Peoria, it's uh, awkward to get to, not a great location. And then also, there's just nothing there. <laughs> it's such Everything a small closes town. on the I weekend. Know. Like, specifically, Everything is just closed. Yeah. It makes no sense. Yeah. yeah. Everything's just closed all the time. So, yeah, Peoria, uh, location wise, I mean, the tournament was ran really well. I'll say that yeah. for sure. Like, both tournaments so far here in North America have been both ran very well so far. Pittsburgh into Peoria, both were ran very, very well. Yeah, Peoria as a location, not too fond of, still not very fond of. And I almost missed my flight, actually. I almost got back today. Instead, I got in. I got back really late Monday instead. But yeah, I almost missed my flight because my connection was... Or my, my initial flight was delayed, so I almost missed my connection. Mm-hmm. But uh, thankfully did not uh, do that. So I was able to get back Monday instead. But uh, yeah, it was fine. Travel back was fine besides that. So I was a little bit panicked, but I, don't know, I guess I would have maybe... Spending the night in Dallas would have been the end of the world, so we figured <laughs> it out. But yeah, back home now. And uh, prepping already for the next regional coming up this week in Sacramento. So getting ready to drive to Sacramento on Friday. How you, Chip? How you? Yeah. Uh, how was casting over in uh, Peoria? It was good. Yeah, it was overall good. Solid tournament. Really fun matches. We got to feature a good variety of decks on stream. Um, we didn't see a Lugia on the stream until day two, which was kind of surprising because it was like the second most popular deck. But at the top tables, it was just like non-existent. So. Really, our only yeah. opportunity to have streamed it would have been in like round nine, probably round maybe round eight, but just didn't work out. And then we got it on later because there was kind of a story we were trying to show there of like this new colorless build becoming popular, right? Uh, but yeah, overall, good stream, solid weekend, good tournament. We were out of there by like 8.30 and there was a lunch break as well, which is pretty yeah. impressive. Uh, it makes you wonder, like, if there was no lunch break, how quick they'd <laughs> get us out of there. 7.30, 8 o'clock, something like that. Yeah, I think we could still do The lunch break was, like, fine. And I guess, like, if day two wants to keep doing the lunch breaks, it's whatever. But basically, it feels like no one else is doing lunch breaks. Actually, I'm curious, like, if anyone in the comment section let us know. Over in Europe, did they do lunch break for Barcelona? Also, Curitiba. Was there a lunch break over in Curitiba? If anyone uh, who's listening went to those, wants to give us a comment, let us know how those ones, if you guys got lunch breaks over there. I think they could do away with it. I actually kind of been preferring that, like the just getting through the tr- the day faster with no lunch break has been preferable in my opinion. 
but uh, they did a good job even with the lunch break. So like, if they're going to keep it around, at least it's like still flowing well, you know? Yeah. And speaking of other tournaments and other parts of the world, Latin America internationals are just around the corner. Just what? Six weeks away. Not even a month away. Is it a month away? It's pretty crazy. Um, we can have the 17th. Like five weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Five weeks. So pretty close, pretty soon around the corner and registration just went live today. So a little late, I would say on the registration for people who are trying yeah. to plan and sort out their international travel, international hotels, but especially the with the, the season, uh... it just kind of feels like always at the start of the season, we just kind of <laughs> almost need to expect them to be delayed with these type of things, getting them off the ground for each of the, uh, the first tournaments of the year. Yeah, it doesn't even feel like there's like that huge break like after NAIC, and then sometimes like a break after Worlds. It feels like there shouldn't be a need for like registration delays. And like this one, like specifically, uh, pretty predictably, and was or and did uh, pretty predictable that it was going to sell out. Is what I'm trying to say. Like so, like <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, like people like I'm sure there's a decent amount of like North American, European players who didn't book their travel yet. Um because of the potential of not being able to go. But six weeks out is still decent, though, for, like, you know, if you're still looking at flights or something like that, you might have, like, passed up on opportunity for, like, a cheaper flight, cheaper hotel, whatever it might have been, something more reasonable, because you're probably waiting. Because I think pretty predictably, uh, and it did happen, that it did sell out pretty fast. Um, I think that's pretty was a pretty easy guess. I think all the ICs this year will sell out pretty fast, to be honest. Yeah, and they released registration in two waves. One of them was first thing in the morning, 9 a.m. Uh, Eastern time, 6 a.m. for Azul, which uh, Azul <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> did not get up for because he got in so late last night, forgot to set his alarm. Yeah, so I like was... remembered while I was flying. I was like, oh, when I land, when I get home, I just got to set my alarm. But I literally like got home and then just like went to bed and like forgot to. Oops. But it sounds like I... I kind of lucked out on not having to go through that process because Ark and I was trying out like a new system. It sounded like for, I don't even know for registering players. And basically the whole process of the initial wave of registration lasted about an hour. Yeah. But you basically get to just be sitting there clicking submit over and over again until it let you in. That's what it sounds like. The experience had uh, experience was for most people. It almost felt like they were sporadically releasing the allotted spots over the course of an hour. And it was just kind of like, keep checking over the course of an hour and see if you get one just kind of yeah. randomly. That's really what it felt like. According to Arcanine's tweets, it sounds like it was an error. It was not supposed to happen that way. Um, unless yes. I'm mistaken. I read them earlier. Yeah. So they did put out a statement kind of in regards to some of the backlash. I mean, plenty of people were <laughs> saying stuff on Twitter, Alex Shemansky, here, obviously, very prominent North American player said, if I were a newer player in LATAM, I would 100% be quitting this game after this registration experience. We're coming <laughs> up on 30 minutes of spam submit early in the workday. At some point, people are going to have to stop trying to register or the risk of real or risk real repercussions from their employers. Being able to say, well, it didn't cap in 30 seconds is not worth this awful experience. And then ultimately tweeted, it has taken over an hour for 896 players to register with countless more still stuck on the devices spamming submit. If you have a job that you can't do this for, I guess it's just over for you. First come, first serve fixes this problem. And then Arcanine did put out the statement saying, hi all, we apologize for the site's behavior this morning during LAIC registration. We need to analyze further, but at a glance, we can see huge demand 
for a bit of a limited supply due to two waves. It took a while to sort through the traffic congestion. There are still spots available for Masters in TCG, VG, and Go. If you haven't gotten a spot yet, please try submitting your request again. So they tweeted this like about an hour after registration went live. Yeah. So I guess I, and, actually, if I just open up a little bit later, or if I had woken up like an hour later, I still could have maybe got in on the first wave. Right, right. But it was still like an hour later was still 7 a.m. for you. Like, yeah, yeah. I woke up at 8. So, And then they did post an update, said TCG Masters initial allocation has sold out for its first wave. And then there were still some spots for VG and Go. And TCG, as usual, was the most in demand and most constrained. We'll share more of our analysis ASAP. Yeah, so all that happened, <clears throat> and then going into wave two, uh, they did change the process to to a more first come first serve process. So whatever they had planned to use is did they did they actually try and do something different, or did something just kind of bug out? They did plan to do something different, right? Because I feel like they I saw I think it, it must somewhere. I think it's a combination, right? They were doing something different, and the site. Was yeah, just yeah there was definitely demand. a yeah well yeah i wasn't sure if something bugged out and they never planned to do anything different but i'm pretty sure i saw a tweet somewhere of them saying we were tr we were trying to do something different but it didn't work as intended um that's what i understood at least but uh for the second wave it was definitely kind of like more first come first serve uh process which i think is definitely uh favorable or preferred to whatever the first wave was, whatever, no one knows what that is, but whatever that was, <laughs> mm -hmm. I think everyone prefers the first come first serve situation. So first and... come first serves, not like totally rolled out, but they are, they did say at the end of this tweet that they are expecting. Yeah. They, this is before the second wave. They tweeted, we expect the second wave to go smoother, but in the big picture, we have been working behind the scenes to prepare for first come first serve. We will launch that as soon as we can. Okay, so, so they did change it from the whatever they did in the first wave is it was different in the second wave, right? Um, yeah, well, I think they just ex they, they just said they expected to go smoother, and it's probably just because a lot less people were registering, right? Oh. A thousand people were able to register, so less people were trying to get into the site. Okay, that might have been it. Yeah. Um, Either way, it definitely went. Not sure, hundred percent though. Obviously. Yeah, it went smoother. I got in on the second wave. Um, yeah, and uh, actually. I guess I haven't even really said this yet, but uh, I got in on the first wave because I'm actually planning to go to LAIC as a player, which I'm excited about. I got to go last year as a caster. I'm going to actually go and play this year. And luckily for me, <laughs> I, I just got super lucky, I guess, because I got on my computer at 8.58, sat down, went to the website, and then as soon as it said 9 o'clock, I clicked refresh. I scrolled down, clicked the boxes, Click submit. I got the little try again later and then scrolled down, click submit again and got through. So I only had to try one extra time <laughs> and then I didn't have to worry about it at all. So I got super lucky. <laughs> really glad I didn't have to sit there and refresh for an hour. I wouldn't have been able to sit there and refresh for an hour, but <laughs> I'm glad that it just kind of worked out for me there. Yeah. Yeah. So <clears throat> I guess the other thing to talk about besides that, and I think this is something where it's like, like, there's nothing really to be mad at. Like a, a problem was identified. RK9 tried. RK9 tried to fix the problem, or seemingly did fix the problem. Like mistakes are going to happen. Mess ups are going to happen. You know, things out of uh, out of people's control are going to happen. That's what happened here. And then for wave two, it was fixed, right? Um, or for the most part, it seemed to be fixed, right? So, yeah, um, it's just I think people are frustrated because it's a monthish before the event. People have booked yeah. their travel plans and stuff already, and it's just like. They just want to know. And that's kind of the big thing about first come first serve that I've seen from most people is 
if it was first come first serve, I would know and like it would suck that it sold out in 30 seconds, but I would know and then I could deal with it and move on. I wouldn't have to sit there and refresh for an hour to try to fight for it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um <clears throat> Man, I I completely lost my train of thought now. I was like, sorry, <laughs> I, was I didn't gonna, mean to like. I was, no, 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 I was on something. Yeah, yeah. So like, I think this is like something. Where it sucks, but like, you know, this situation got remedied. You can't. Be, there's nothing to be too mad at here because the Pokemon community, when something's not perfect, they love the pitchforks. Are like everyone is like ready. You know what I'm saying? Everyone wakes up every single morning uh, in the Pokemon community. They sharpen their pitchforks just in case That's something happens. One. You don't. Yeah, step one. Wake up. Sharpen pitchfork. Get on Twitter. Wait. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> <laughs> and then repeat <laughs> so yeah i don't think it's anything to get mad about as far as that goes um yeah, it was remedied pretty fast um the one thing we could discuss though was the cap 1467 is the current number of tcg players registered for laic so the final say- number is probably like 1500 cap or something like that and there's yeah. probably just still a couple junior senior Floaters. spots is what i would guess yeah. so if we say there's 200 Juniors and seniors, probably, right? We can say that, right? 200 juniors and seniors. That means there's 1,260 masters. It might be more. I, I don't know, man. It might be more. Let's say there's... All right, let's just make it... I, let's I take off the top half. 1,200 masters. 1,200 masters. Okay, 1,200 masters. Last year at LAIC, there was 976 players at the tournament, so there's probably 1,100-ish, uh, maybe even not even... Maybe like 1,050. Yeah, at least 1,000 um, for sure. Yeah, at least 1,000 uh cap last year at laic so they only increased it roughly by 20 percent. now 20 percent is a lot like generally right it's a pretty big increase for most things in life um but for pokemon tournaments it definitely seems like we're pushing for increases of from last year to this year of like close to 50 percent in a lot of areas right so uh but is 20 percent like year over year would, would a 20 percent increase year over year be enough it seems like it would it wouldn't be that bad. Like, I mean, how much? How mad can we actually be that it capped at twelve hundred this year when it was a thousand last year? That's a tw- a, like when you put it in terms of percentages, I think it's a little bit easier to be like, okay, maybe it's maybe we're not too far off the growth rate of what they should expect from us, right? Yeah. So I mean, um, if we just look at the past of this tournament, even, yeah. The- the very first one was 626. The next one, 596. So right about the same. Yeah. 630 for the next one, right about the same there. And then 2019, 726. That's a pretty sizable increase. 2022, obviously the first one right after COVID, uh, 976. So, mm-hmm. I mean, just comparing tournament to tournament, it's a pretty steady increase overall. Yeah. I don't think 20% is necessarily unreasonable, but I think in this spot, like they should still have expected if that's all we can do is 20%, it is still going to be the same issue. It's still going to sell out right away. Um, yeah. And it is in the same venue as it was last year. And it was pretty cramped in that venue last year, don't you think? Do we have the whole thing as well? It felt like we that. Did. I, I see. I don't know all of that stuff. Yeah. I do it know like we had the whole at venue, the venue but... though. They had some pretty sick, um, like food? street food vendors oh, yeah. inside the venue, and I'm super excited to go back for that because that <laughs> was awesome. <laughs> yeah, and before and people it was get still do... cheap, it was like nothing. It was like yeah. three dollars instead of the twenty dollar hot dog over at a... yeah <laughs> any northern area. <laughs> um and before like and all before anyone like says anything about it because the people are people always think they should like literally like nuke all of this side stuff in the venue and just put more tables for players like that's not a, that shouldn't be the goal either we should try and be, make these there should be there should be trying to be more things for people to do when they show up to these tournaments as spectators or people who just like show up um you know to go you know whatever 
three three drop or whatever three four drop and then just go do some other stuff right the arts and crafts stuff for the kids you know food vendors you should exist there like that especially on that kind of level it's so nice to have that kind of stuff in the venue like they did at LIC. that is like a good point like that was actually super sick to have that many different food options in the venue like right there in the venue so um oh, we should want these pokemon tournaments to be bigger and more than just sitting down and playing a match right mm-hmm. we should want the stages with the stream and then all the other little things around the venue for people to do make it a little bit more than just a tournament i think it's like only helps grow the game and do also you want the stream though because playing on the stream is just a massive competitive <laughs> disadvantage i wouldn't say it's a massive it definitely is a disadvantage like i do agree sure, with sure. the tw- who made the tweet again uh, it was liam yeah liam uh i think liam's correct it is a disadvantage to play on stream um except when you play against someone who's gonna maybe be more uncomfortable than you would be playing on stream and in that case it's actually an advantage so (laughs) i guess actually liam's it's not always a disadvantage it's only uh, a disadvantage until it's more of a disadvantage for your opponent but um i know some people just like being on stream uh we even see rowan replying to liam like i love what did rowan say i love being on uh i love being on stream um my parents are always following the Arcade 9 parents from home, so being able to have them watch me play is a great feeling. It's something I strive for every tournament. Yeah, so I think it's a little bit... Overall, it is a, a competitive disadvantage. Everyone knows your deck, your tech cards, um, or at least that information is now out there, whereas otherwise it wouldn't have been. You are playing in a, more, a less comfortable environment, but for some people, that doesn't really matter as much. It sounds like Rowan is one of those players where like playing on stream is the same thing as sitting down and playing against your opponent at any other table, right? Um, but then you have situations like me against uh, Cameron, uh at ocic yeah where cameron was thrown off by it um they did make cameron play left-handed or right-handed i don't know if cameron's left-handed whatever cameron wasn't made him play with his offhand yeah yeah which is not correct shouldn't have been done yeah and then was drawing drawing cards off the deck instead of the prize cards right so like there's like situations like that where it's definitely like someone gets thrown off but that was like obviously like a little bit more extreme of a scenario but yeah i think it's most for the most part neutral but like theoretically overall it is like a disadvantage to play on stream i guess but like not like a big deal one way or the other but um yeah, we want Pokemon tournaments to be bigger and more than just the competition because that theoretically just grows and makes the game bigger and better. So doing stuff like getting rid of the arts and crafts or putting the TCG and VGC in separate venues on separate days, making them separate tournaments is just stupid, to be honest. Like the amount of times I've heard that suggestion is way too many times that I can't even comprehend. So, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, 20% increase. 20 is a big number. 20% is a big number. So I don't know. It doesn't seem like... It's just hard. It's hard because on their end, they don't want to get a huge venue or more venue space than they're going to need and be, you know, they're still they're still trying to run a business at the end of the day with these these events. So I don't know. Twenty percent is like a big number when you put it in a percentage instead of just saying two hundred more players and then we have four hundred more who would like to play. You know, so it's kind of it's kind of tough to say overall, but it did sell out really fast. So I I think the 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 thing where we can start to be annoyed and be like, okay, there's a problem here, is if next year they don't give us another two hundred players at least, right? maybe 300 yeah. i think that's the thing we have to look for is like I, I, where they stop where when we are selling out tournaments instantly and they aren't giving us more spots the following year right but so far they have been giving us plus 200 the last three four three four laics tbci uh, did just open up an office in mexico city i think so uh no not all the way down in brazil but they oh, really? are seeming to support the latin america region more as far as like just being more direct, having people in an office down there that can, you know, are more part of the culture, know what's going on, right, and stuff like that. LAIC in Mexico City, it's been a, they might do that, that, but that would be maybe interesting even, too. But that's had, see, uh, I don't think that's going to happen because uh, 
Mexico is under the no. What am I saying? Mexico not, is yeah. not under the North American. It's under the Latin American. <laughs> yeah. region. Sorry. Yeah, I'm tripping. We haven't had tripping. Mexico City regionals in years. It used to be a consistent. It used to be a constant, mm-hmm. but they got rid of it a long uh, a while ago, and they haven't brought it back. I mean, it, it would make sense for them to bring it back if they have a literal office in Mexico City. So, um, I, I would almost be surprised if they didn't actually do an LAIC in Mexico City. Then at some point, if they have literally an office right there. Yeah, that's true. So maybe not next year's one, but maybe the year after or something like that. Makes yeah, sense. It would make sense, yeah. Yeah, LAIC already capped out. If you were planning on going, uh, they might. I mean, they could. Did they do another wave for NAIC last year? They might do. There's always a possibility of another wave. Like, yeah, I so, think it was and, tiny and more, though, but yeah, I think they did. Yeah, yeah, yeah more, they definitely did yeah, because did, I remember yeah. like Mike Fouché didn't get in in the first three waves, and then he got in wave four. Yeah, and they they might open like some spots might get opened up again, and so still be on the lookout for some potential spots to open. They're always trying to fit as many people as they possibly yeah. can. They so want you to mind. play in the tournament. Yes, they want as many people as they can possibly get, but they have to make a judgment call on how many people do we think we can actually get to show up versus how much space are we going to get. They can't just like, even Will Post put out a good tweet on that, actually. Or actually, if you want to bring up, I think Will Post's tweet is I'll perfect, actually. Yeah, he I tweets actually a lot, so it becomes hard to find his tweets. It should, it should be like <laughs> the newest tweet, At, one of the newest ones. Right, the, the, the one that's quoting the tweet, the tweet that gets quoted there. Okay. Um. Yeah. Can someone out there please try booking a convention center on the premise of, I'm not sure how many people, I'll tell you a few months out, just hold all the space you have just in case, okay? And let me know how it goes. Yeah, that's like perfect. Like they are booking these venues months in advance and they are not trying to like lose, let's say maybe no money, too much money on overbooking the space, right? They're trying to fill, like I said, us capping tournaments, even though it feels bad, is a good thing. Where ideally just don't want them to cap in like 30 seconds. That did happen for LAIC. But yeah, they're booking these venues way out in advance. They're trying to make a guesstimate on how many players do they think they can get to show up to their tournament. And us filling out that, like I said, us capping these terms is a good thing because it's showing the game's going to grow. And then we just need the organizers to respond by giving us more space. And they have been if you're not in Europe. So yeah, at, yeah, rip. <laughs> uh, Peoria was actually kind of interesting too this weekend because we were there last year. And I don't know if you really remember it last year, but the section of the hall that most of the masters played in and where the vendors were was completely shut off last year. So they just opened up a huge section of the hall that wasn't open last year. And it was pretty, I mean, when there's going to be, you know, 3000 people at a tournament, you expect it to be somewhat cramped, right? Like there's just kind of no avoiding it when you're cramming that many people into a convention center. But for how many people were there, it didn't feel like it was overly crowded, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, another thing I actually say to that, uh, just to put it out there, like if uh, the day two events, they do this thing called like a, a home base thing where like they have this little section where they have like tables. Oh yeah, did you guys do that? Yeah, me and my squad did that. Um, where you can basically oh, buy sorry, a table. Sorry, I cut you off, but finish explaining what yeah. the home base thing is. <laughs> the I'm home sorry. base thing is basically there's a bunch of tables that you can buy for the weekend, basically to to have like a home base, a, a home base where you can go. Um, as your your table you can consistently go back to in day one and day two throughout the it's whole like event. a reserved spot for you yeah right and it costs a hundred dollars for the table so and you can get you get eight uh wristbands so you can have eight people at your table and it's like a hundred bucks so it's like twelve dollars a person i think like i did that for the first time apparently they've had them before i only heard about them for this term i didn't notice that they had it in previous tournaments but i mean that was sick i'm definitely going to do that every day two event personally so i mean if there's any other uh organizers out there who have those kind of things out there. I'm personally would always be paying for something like that I would like, honestly, I would, if VIP seating has gotten pretty expensive, so I haven't, I'm not buying VIP seating, 
but it was a little bit cheaper than I would be down to do VIP every time. It's really nice to just have like, just to know where you're going every single time. You don't have to like weed through the tables every single time. So like having, like, like I said, like the home base thing, just having knowing where you're going, where you and your squad are going to meet up at the end of every single round is, uh, is worth it in my opinion. So that's definitely something that, uh, I'll be looking to do it at all the future day two events personally. And if other organizers start doing that kind of stuff, I mean, I'll be doing it there too. Cause I thought that was like a really good, definitely worth the, worth the price tag for sure. That's for sure. I think it's definitely worth the price tag. Well, speaking of your experience in Peoria, Illinois, <laughs> let's take a look at the results from the Pokemon tournament that happened this past weekend in Peoria. Let's start off actually by looking at the meta share and kind of talking about that. If it was similar to what we thought it was going to be different or any of that. So here's what the day one meta share looked like. We had 15% of the field on Charizard EX. I think that is, I would call it a little higher than I expected, but I wouldn't say it's surprising. What do you think? Uh, I think it's a little surprising. I was predicting 10. Um, maybe I should have predicted a little bit higher. It was so much on the ladder. I feel like that's a pretty good indicator uh of it when a deck is gonna like be in excess to what you expect and it's usually you can only kind of get a read on that for like the most popular deck but like lost tina was the same way before pittsburgh um and like before barcelona like lost tina was the most popular deck on the pdcg live ladder and charger was by far the most popular deck on the pdcg live ladder before peoria so that probably should have given enough of a tell where i could have probably predicted okay it'll probably be like my my thought process is 10 it, like sometimes decks are just more popular and that can be like that that could be the indicator because like in online tournaments and stuff i've been kind of like waning a little bit in popularity i felt like leading up to peoria but like still on the ladder everyone was grinding it and yeah 15 15 so a little bit more than i thought it would be but like not like a huge shock i would say for sure yeah it wasn't and like then... uh lugia world or something that i was shocked by day one of <laughs> yeah. lugia world shocked me and then next up was Lugia at 13%, which I, isn't a super big surprise, a little higher again than I think we thought. We thought that it was just going to be a lot of like 10% decks, like, yeah, which there kind of is, right? I mean, it's just a little, a little a bit lot better, 12, just a yeah. little over, right? Uh, but yeah, so Lugia at 13%, and the numbers 224 of the people in the tournament were playing Lugia. 183 of them were playing the colorless variant and 73 were playing the single strike variant. That's a stat we shared on the stream. So about 70% of the Lugia players were on the colorless version of the deck. Can we do those numbers again? 70% colorless and 30% no, no, no. single strike. 183 colorless and 73 single strike. All in 224 decks. Yeah. That doesn't add up, does it? Nope. <laughs> Those are the numbers they gave us. Some people, some people are out there dual wielding. <laughs> They're switching up in between rounds. That does not like, add up. Yeah, I had, doesn't didn't add even up. process that. That's the numbers they gave us, though, <laughs> behind the scenes. There's, Dude, a, there's, that a, stat, there's a number missing. Yeah. So some of the some of the decks just got counted twice somehow in their whatever system they used to yeah. to check it. I mean, seventy percent is about that makes sense to me. Like That's colorless, about what it probably is still what it was. Yeah, like colors being the more popular by like a solid amount made sense. Um, I was actually surprised there was as much single strike. Well, yeah, colors being the 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 more played one. I thought it'd be more though. I guess is what I should say. I thought it'd be like eighty, uh, eighty plus percent. Um, so yeah, it was, I mean, I was think more single strike than I thought. For is like people who are just like stuck on their single strike yeah yeah definitely um you know if someone has decided for the last two months that they're playing this deck to this tournament and then now this new version of the deck comes out and everyone's talking about it playing it instead of the one you've been practicing testing and that you know the best like 
it's hard for people to change. You know, stick with what you know. And generally, I think it is depending better. on where you are as a player, that's the correct thing to do, right? Is to unless it's a, stick with what you're most comfortable with. Yeah, unless like the meta becomes horrendous for you, like then you should you should adjust because like your 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 day is just gonna be bad. Yeah. yeah, even if you play poorly or even if you play not as well with a deck, your expected outcome is still gonna be greater than if you play the deck you know the best. But uh, single strike wasn't terrible. Like I'm sure most people had the Cobalion in there or some kind of tech card for the Charizard matchup, right? So yeah, playing single strike Lugia was still, I mean, still a good deck. So that wasn't like a yeah, bad dude, call. My <laughs> the senior that I coach. He's been playing single strike Lugia. Played it at Worlds. Played it most of last year. Played it in AIC. All that stuff. And so he's gonna play it. Just stick with it for this tournament because he hasn't played a lot since Worlds because they started mm -hmm. school back and stuff. So he's just gonna stick with it. And I was like, listen, man, you got to play the Cobalion. We just need to have a chance against Charizard. Let's put this in your list. And I found out uh, the day after the tournament, he cut it from his list. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> he just was like, I'm not going to play it. And then he still got 10th. He got top 16. It was his right, first regional as a senior, too. So that was pretty cool. All right. All right. But yeah, he just, but he was like, yeah, I didn't play against any Charizard. I was like, okay, that, that, that makes sense. It was a good, you made a good decision cutting the Cobalion. And he made the right call. Was like, you yeah. got never punished for cutting the Yeah, Cobalion. that, yeah, that is definitely the never punished scenario. But I, I, I mean, I wonder how, yeah, it's, dude, seniors and juniors is just so weird compared to masters. It's like so much harder to, I mean, maybe if you're in it as a senior and junior, you can have a little bit better read on where things are going. But it's really hard, even as someone who coaches juniors and seniors, because I'm not in it, like I can't yeah. apply how I would analyze a meta. I can't analyze the meta. I can't be them and analyze the meta for them. So they don't still know how to like input the information that they see into being like, okay, where is this going? So it's even then, it's even though when I talk to the juniors and seniors I coach, it's still hard to kind of predict where things are headed. Um, but usually the thing that is like more so relevant for juniors and seniors than even in the masters division is just playing a deck you're, you know well is going to yes. have a higher impact even than it will in masters. So, um, Another deck that I wasn't well, Lugia was like, yeah, Lugia was expecting to be about be about twelve percent. Charizard a little, a little bit more popular than I thought, and Maridon's definitely more popular than I thought it was going to be at the twelve percent, especially with all the Charizard hype going around. Yeah. Um, now all the Maridons did adjust, or most of them did. They most of them had the path to the peak, right, to give yep. yourself a, a decent time, maybe even a solid time. Maybe it's close to like fifty fifty against Charizard once you get the Judge path. path Judge. is pretty good against so Charizard. Good at, yeah, it's it's definitely super strong um but yeah 12 percent, and it did well too right 12 percent, but also two in the top eight jesse and jw with the maride on jesse's back-to-back -back top eights jw two-time regional champion yes one yeah two-time regional. i was like, two pretty time. sure yep two times some respect on his name <laughs> coming away with the top four as well um so the maride on yeah still kicking still out there still killing it um but yeah nothing too yeah, crazy let's... as far as like let's go besides like the path uh switch up yeah, I was Dude, trying to check at? the Path They added that? this new thing on Pokestats live where you can see the matchups of a deck, but for some reason Charizard is not listed here as the matchup. Oh. Like what the win rate was at a tournament or like in the meta or whatever. But there's there's a, Charizard if, listed what here. What if Maridon played against Charizard zero times in the whole tournament? <laughs> yeah. It seems, I, it seems impossible, but I don't think that happens. Let's technically see. possible. I'll see if I can well, click around and find it. We can at least check Charizard like here. JW and Jesse specifically. Yeah, I will if I don't see it. Oh yeah, tournament data on the way. So it's just like I think oh, this okay. is a thing in progress. Is the uh, is kind of the issue there? But yeah, so let's look at JW Crewall. Looks like he played against one Charizard and beat it. Mm -hmm. He has one unknown on his record, so he played against one. And that's not a very good deck right now, so it makes sense. 
and then Jesse played against one on in round Charizard. one and also beat it. Yeah, and those are like the like not to like specifically call it those players, but usually your early rounds are going to be a little bit easier. The later you go into yeah, a tournament, yeah. the harder your rounds get theoretically. Of course, you could hit toward round one, but it's way more likely you hit Joe Schmo round one, right? So yeah, definitely going to so, be a big difference in the quality of players. So this Charizard player, Austin Daniels, got tenth, uh, and he was playing Charizard, and he went. Four one or three 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 oh one against yeah. Maridon. Yeah. Yeah. Drew oh. played against one? one, yeah, and beat it. Mm-hmm. It's looking good for it's looking good for Charizard out here. But of yeah. course, you don't need to be able to beat everything, right? Um so I mean losing to the fifteen percent. But to be honest though, like Charizard was fifteen percent, but no top eights. There was three in top sixteen. So it wasn't like far off the mark no. from like a successful tournament run. But I think being the most popular deck, having a decent conversion rate too. 19% of day two was Charizards. No top eights. That's definitely probably below average for how popular it was, right? Like below below average the amount of top eights a deck ha- would have for being that popular would be my yeah. guess. Yeah, I think so. I will say, I think all three of these Charizard players were players who like won into top 16 top and they weren't, they weren't like players who lost out of top eight, right? Yeah, not even top eight contenders and towards the end of the day. Yeah. Right. That makes it but even worse. That, I mean, Charizard. that's not like to put a blemish on their record or anything like that. I mean, they still oh. made top 16, right? Literally couldn't even top eight. What are they even doing here? Why'd they, <laughs> why they show up to the tournament? <laughs> no chance. <laughs> um, Lost and Box then, in there at its classic 10%, right? I feel like well, Lost you, you Box skip, has almost whoa, taken. Whoa, 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 whoa. You skipped well, over was, Gardevoir, the deck you I mean, played. Yeah, Gardevoir 10%. Like, okay, <laughs> and then Lost Box, gonna... about where you'd expect, what we're used to seeing, 10%. Yeah, Lost 10%, Box. yeah. I feel like Lost Box has become the new Mew in the 10% zone. Because Mew, rightfully so, with the Charizard heart, fell off the map, right? The completely gone, which I think is rightfully, but some people went out of their way, tried to make Mew work against Charizard as best they could, and the, the grabber Mew list was born, right? So no... No, it wasn't here in the top six in day one. Was it? What about day two? Did it? Mew did not break the chart for day two, right? No, I'll pull. I'll pull up the day two chart. But there was uh, not two. Yeah, Lugia took the big hit here. But generally, so like to kind of talk about like day two uh, percentages. Generally, you expect like the top six from day one to just go up in percentage into day two because you get rid of all like the riffraff, you know, the 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 I don't know whatever meme deck. The players brought you know people who aren't trying to make day two they're just showing up with their meme deck none of those are making day two so generally you expect like pretty much every deck in the top six to increase a little bit or be about the same percentage going from day one to day two right mm-hmm. um, and then you might see a deck jump up out of nowhere and come in at that that sixth fifth spot like uh i don't know we're missing mew here so if mew jumped up to the sixth spot all of a sudden going into day two that wouldn't be a big surprise but if we go from day one to day two bring up to day two we see charizard gains a percent Guardy lost box gaining percent. Maridon does go down one percent, but basically the same. Chain Pal plus two percent. But Lugia looks like it wasn't a great play for the tournament because it took a huge hit, losing four uh, percent from day one to day two, right? Like that's that kind of shows that probably Lugia was not a great play for the tournament. So what? Where, where do you think that like Lugia's downfall was? It? I mean, everyone says that Maridon's super favored against Lugia. I've never felt that in my testing. It feels to me closer to like a 50-50, but I'm under tested in the matchup for sure. Um, Colas Lugia for also for me, I was always felt fine against Charizard, but maybe that's another thing that I'm a little bit under tested in. And those two matchups, to me, like looking at the what happened in the tournament, it looks it seems like those two matchups I'm probably just wrong on. Colorless Lugia, I think, feels better for Maridon than Single Strike Lugia does for sure, because Single Strike Lugia has a couple of ways to like throw a wrench at you. Obviously, Tyranitar is really difficult for the Maridon deck to KO 
if they don't like they have to play the Zapdos. If they don't play the Zapdos, you're just never KOing a Tyranitar, right? Well, you have Stone Journey. Well, energy. yeah, but that's so much more work, right? I should. <laughs> you're is. right, though. I shouldn't. I shouldn't say never, though. I shouldn't say never. Yeah. Uh, it definitely is a difference, but it's like you have to expend so much more to get that knockout. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have Stone Journey as well. So I think that Single Strike Lugia actually does fine against Maridon, but Colorless Lugia probably a bit less so. I mean, you do have Snorlax, but it's not really even. Your prize trade you is still overall even. Because squawk comes down. Yeah, you're, like a... you're benching more liabilities as well, right? Um, the one thing would be like the radiant Charizard. I feel like like it does what Stone Journal does just later in but the game. But not everyone plays it, and that's probably one of the issues. It's like that's one of the things. If you're going to be using Colorless Lugia moving forward, you should. I think the radiant Charizard should, should just be in there. I think radiant Charizard should be in the deck. Like you can play three Snorlax, but I think radiant Charizard should be in there over the third Snorlax because it's effectively just another Snorlax, sure. one energy. So it allows you to be more aggressive with your weird deer in the late game and stuff like that. Why not both? Um, both also Maridon's going to path right i feel like Maridon with path has a better matchup against lugia than without path right so the the Maridon matchup whether it's now slightly favored with path from a 50 50 or whatever it might be it definitely does gain percentage points when that path get added to the Maridon deck for sure Uh, you're a little bit less aggressive in general so some matchups you're going to wish you didn't have the path at the peak some of the other matchups is a little bit less relevant but against lugia i think you are gaining some percentage points there just judge path right hit him him with it in this matchup as well and then Chien Pao went way up in MetaShare percentage from where it was at in Pittsburgh. In Pittsburgh, it was like 4.5%, yeah. almost doubling up to 8% here in Peoria. And it had a solid day two conversion rate as well. It goes from 8 to 10%. You know, know. not like massive changes by any it's means. It's like expected. It did like expe- The 2% increase, like Lost Box had a yeah, 2% yeah, yeah. increase. Chien Pao, like yeah. that's like an expected if you're in the top six decks usually. You're just yes, expected definitely. to increase a little bit. Uh, and I think a big part of this, so there's kind of two things here. One, Chimpao is probably one of the few decks, uh, one one of two meta decks in the format that just has like a strictly favorable Charizard matchup. You destroy, it's an embarrassing for Charizard. <laughs> <laughs> like it's so, so a bad. strictly favorable Charizard matchup. Charizard was kind of the big hyped up deck coming into mm-hmm. this event. And then also a lot of really good players decided to play Chimpao as well. Yeah, a lot of really good players decided to play it. Um, and it, I mean, I, I've like kind of used that as like a reason for why a deck would be popular. But I guess that like that speaks to if a lot of really good players want to play it and think it's good, then there's going to be that many other players who think it's good as well. Right. Mm-hmm. But like it's it's a little I'm not going to go around and pay attention to what everyone's playing. I am taking note of what the better players are playing, though. Right. So when I saw that, uh, you know, Bradner was playing it and Grant Shen was playing it, I was like, OK, OK, people are showing up with the Chi and Pow. Um, so I kind of take note of those players rolling up with the the Chien Pao. But if they're rolling up with the Chien Pao, there's also the, all the other players that I'm not taking note of who are also going to be rolling up with it, right? Um, yeah, I think it's just a really cool deck. It's really fun. Like the, like I played a lot with uh, Baxcalibur in general before the tournament, and I I don't think it's that good of a deck. Like I, it's still not a deck that I think I would want to bring to a tournament. But like it getting a top eight to me is no, no surprise, um, especially if Grant Shen's piloting it, right? And it's just like the deck's just like super cool and fun to be honest, and it's like it's good it's a good deck like so yeah it's like maybe it just kind of was um i think probably uh, people would always call it, so people always call it like a a high roll deck or an inconsistent deck which are two things that aren't relevant when picking a deck the only thing that matters is the deck's win rate saying high roll and stuff is basically irrelevant uh you should just although the only thing you're concerned with is the deck's potential win rate into a meta um, and I think as it's been kind of being put out there, just like a good deck and less of a inconsistent high roll deck, I think that's what has maybe caused more people to try and pick it up and try it. Um, is like the stigma around the deck has kind of been removed. 
more and more as the meta progresses, which is maybe leading to more people wanting to pick it up and try it out and play it. And also, it's kind of been established as there's one way to play the deck, and it's probably the best way to play the deck. So it makes it easier to kind of pick up, right? That turbo build that uh, that Grand Chen played. Yeah, you've also got, um, you know, Kiernan's been out there, like, really pushing the deck and, like, yeah, put out, like, a manifesto about why Chien Pao <laughs> is broken as well on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, the, the Chien Pao propaganda was definitely real leading up to this event. Um, this is some, this is good propaganda. This isn't yeah, the sure, cross sure, lost sure. Tina. Henry Brown was pushing some some fishies, but this is good <laughs> propaganda. <laughs> this is what you want to see the masses getting into because the deck is just super cool, super fun. It's, like, a really, really good deck for sure, so um yeah you love to see like a deck like this getting more popular for sure definitely was there anything that stood out to you in day two that we haven't talked about yet i know you've looked at pretty much everything um anything that was surprising to you as far as decks not finishing as expected or maybe unique card inclusions in someone's list that you wouldn't have expected uh not that i can think of i haven't looked at a ton of non-top eight lists but i guess like the lack of lost tina we could talk about right not even in the top six most popular decks now i predicted this to my group personally and they told me no azul lost tina is still going to be 10 percent at least i predicted less than eight percent or less than 10 percent, i should say it was eight percent i will say and we said this on the broadcast too it was like 7.9 percent Okay, about where so, I predicted it to be. Okay, right under like, GM Pal. Yeah, I didn't predict Charizard to be fifteen percent, but I was still. Yeah, we're yeah. we're all afraid so you of take, Charizard. You take one small win, you take a couple big <laughs> L's. You know, we'll see where we end up. <laughs> but yeah, Lost Cena kind of fell off. Uh, I mean, I think that a big reason has to be the hype behind Colorless Lugia. I think Colorless Lugia was the most hype decked going into the tournament. I think a lot of people were just set on playing Charizard, and that's why it was so popular. But I think Colorless Lugia was by far the most hype deck, hyped up deck going into the tournament. And yeah. it destroyed it. Like, I thought it was good until I forgot about all the l- other little things that Colorless Lugia can do against Tina. Like, they can't start Requiem with Snorlax, which kind of sucks. You have, to, you have to lost impact every single Snorlax. Uh, Mew can come in out of nowhere and copy Greninja for two Comfy KOs or copy Tina and just n- knock it out and copy lost impact. Like, the matchup is embarrassingly bad for <laughs> for lost Tina. Yeah. So I think even the Temple of Sinnoh doesn't fix it either. Like, the Temple of Sinnoh is really good against Single Strike Lugia in lost Tina but it doesn't fix the colorless matchup at all. So I think that's the main reason Lost Tina probably dropped off more. Also, it wasn't really performing overly well in tournaments. It did get second at Kurochiba, but there was like sometimes one in top eight, but then it was like lacking in the rest of day two finishes. And also, I think people are just kind of getting, the deck is like not very fun to play. It's good, but it takes a lot to play well. Like it's it's almost like a lost box. It's like a lost box. It is a lost zone deck, right? You have to play really well to get get a good result from it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just probably exhausting a lot of people up to this point. And it's like a lot of people ended up putting it down because of that. Also, it's not as fun as Lost Box. You can do so many different things with Lost Box and make Lost Box your own. Lost Tina is like, you kind of have to do these things and it's not very fun to do those things. So I think just people are kind of burnt out and kind of putting it down because it wasn't very enjoyable uh, play experience. So we did make some predictions before the tournaments. We can go through now and see who was right, who was wrong. We did try to predict what deck would win. I predicted Gardevoir. You predicted Colorless Lugia. Now, I think Colorless Lugia was definitely more hyped up coming into the event, and it did end up being more popular in day... Well, not Colorless Lugia, I guess, specifically wasn't more popular necessarily in Lugia's, day one. Lugia was. Yeah. Um, but there was no Colorless Lugia in top eight. There was, however, one Gardevoir in top eight. So... I mean, it didn't win, though. Like, I feel like we gotta get... You have to win <laughs> to get closer. it right. We I was closer. I was closer, but... Yeah, they like we're trying to like hit it on the mark, you know what I'm saying? Okay, sure. Whatever. <laughs> Highest placing 
Charizard. I said top eight. You said top 16. You definitely get the edge here. It was a Zero in top eight, and then there was three in top 16. So honestly, if we're doing points <laughs> or something, three points to, to House what? Blue. No, that's not there. how that works. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. True, true, true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is how that works, actually. I take it back. <laughs> um, and, yeah, and the last one we did was, uh, will there be a non-NA... I see. Sure said Canada or U.S. No, NA, NA is fine. I guess. Well, no, not non-Canada or U.S. player in top eight. Chip said yes. I said no, and there was Brent Tonneson coming in uh, with the guard vor and getting into a uh, seventh place. Uh, who did Brent actually lose to in? Uh, Brent lost moved. to Raymond, I think. Mm, okay. Yeah. I'll so top eight with guard vor. Brent's been uh, playing. Stats. Brent's been playing guard vor for like forever. Um, and yeah, Brent actually up, had a pretty again. sick run of tournaments. I saw someone, he like tweeted about his Metafy or something like that. And his last three tournaments, he's gone top 32 at Worlds. Or sorry, top 32 at NAIC, 10th at Worlds, 7th at Peoria. That, that's a pretty sick run. Yeah, it's not bad. I'm sure Brent's looking for that. Has Brent actually... No, that's not, that is true. Brent has won a major tournament before. I see with that regional Sydney first place. <laughs> I was like wondering, has Brent won a major? Mm-hmm. I was about to say, Brent might be the best player to have not won a major tournament as possible. Um, lost Ray, baby. Lost Ray. Yeah. Um, Sorry, Brent get... did lose to Jack Carter. Okay, so still a loss on deck. Still lost. Box. Jack actually close. had cards in his deck that were pretty good in the Gardevoir matchup. He had Clara, Palpad, and Echoing Horn. All cards that are like pretty good against Gardevoir. Did Did he have the Roxanne as well, or no? no he did not have the Roxanne. He had no disruption. Yeah. yeah. So yes, decent. Uh, decent against all those beat, decent against. Uh, Jack beat Grant mainly in day two. I know. Yeah. Um, I guess like the other list we can talk about real fast here and just take a look at was be Rowan's. I don't think we pulled up Rowan's list up yet, which is a really cool yeah. Mew build. Like I said, uh, most people wrote off Mew as dead because of the Charizard matchup, but Rowan went out of the way to test the matchup with some unique cards, and they ended up being good enough to run Mew at the tournament despite Charizard's hype, which means they're probably at least getting Rowan to like a 50-50 in the matchup because... Uh, I don't know why you would play a deck that doesn't. And it's it's basically like a handlock Mew. DTE handlock Mew. Got the Luxray V in there. For anyone who doesn't know what that does for two, two colorless energy, it does 30 damage. You look at your opponent's hand and you discard a trainer card. So you combo that with Judge, Path, Fang Snipe. You could not just shut down Charizard, but you can uh, shut down a lot of decks with that Judge, combo. Path, Fang Snipe, Grabber as well. Don't yeah. forget. Yeah, and then if you want to, you can also put throw the Grabber in there as well, which is a new card from 151. Look at your opponent's hand, take a Pokemon you find there, and put it on the bottom of their deck. So you basically just try and just limit their hand as much as possible. And this is, like, enough. Because, uh, like, we've already been talking about Judge Path being really good against Charizard. But you get a Grabber involved. And sure, it's just, like, any Pokemon they have, and the Pokemon they have might not be relevant. But, you know, one less Pidgey on their bench could be the difference between them, you know, getting to a Pidgeot later or not, right? Dude, Grabbers uh, then, are, like, a buck fifty on TCG player. That's kind of crazy. <laughs> stonks <laughs> the i mean for an uncommon card that's like not it's that true. good like it's good in a very specific deck right you just wouldn't expect it well it's because of the there's no booster boxes of 151 yeah so the, yeah, yeah. So the cards are harder to, to hit yeah um so yeah instead of just giving up on mew Rowan was like all right what is what can i do to beat charizard and it was enough you know for Rowan to get up to the the top uh top four Eventually mm-hmm. losing to, I want to say Raymond. Yes. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Raymond. Which is a pretty, pretty abysmal matchup. Yeah. Even with the, does have the Penny, which can help. 
but yeah. really isn't like isn't it's enough to make the character matchup though. good. Yeah, I have I to imagine that... the penny was in here for like pick uh... up the luxury. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, does, it might or do like... enough against Lost Box if they don't have the Drapion, um, which I think is probably was like probably a, something like Rowan was probably reading into a little bit as well. Like less Spiritomb and Drapion would probably be showing up. He does also tournament. only have two escape ropes, so it also could just be in here as like a recyclable way to get out of Mawile or something like that too. I mean, yeah, I guess. Yeah, there's just like I don't know if anyone's like gonna be the, the player playing Mawile would have to be desperate to Mawile a Mew player. <laughs> they would yeah. have to well, be no, like or beyond you just desperate. check their resources and they're down ropes, like because they set, had to use them to set up True. or something. All right, it's possible. I'm not. I'm not fully disagreeing with you. <laughs> um, and yeah, then, besides that, pretty vanilla. Uh, besides the, the the grabber combo stuff, you know, everything else in there is pretty, pretty normal. Pretty interesting, though. Rowan, when he won Hartford with Fusion Mew, it was at a time where nobody was playing Fusion Mew. Everyone's playing DTE Mew. Yeah. And then he went he gets top four here playing DTE Mew at a time when most people are playing Fusion Mew. Which is, but I guess for this tournament, a good yeah. a pretty high amount of people did switch over to the DTE. Colin Merley Matthews, who got top eight or top four in Pittsburgh. Yeah, it was top four. Um, he switched over to him. it. He had three grabber in his list, and then Tyler Ashlock also played the DTE Mew. Grabbers? This one did not have the grabber, it looks like. Just, yeah, just judge path and pray. Justified gloves. And of though. course, but of course, the justified gloves. Got to have those. <laughs> oh, man, that's wild. <laughs> Has the Silene, so I guess the plan against Zard is just like one shot at least one of them. <laughs> Yeah, you, yeah, you have to get lucky on the Silene to get a double KO. That'd be a lot of tablets. Did uh, now I'm catching here. Did Ma did Matthew play the Luxray as well, or was it just Rowan? Then Matthew did not three? play the Luxray. Okay, so just all, the Grabber, no Luxray. I feel like the Luxray is a. You may as well have the Luxray if you're all, if you're like this much in on this combo. It's a good Luxray involved as well. It's only like matters when you list, go second. Honestly, but... this looks like one card different. Honestly, from from Rowan's list, one or two. It's probably a couple cards, but yeah, the Lost City. Fourth vacuum, yeah. minus one grabber, minus one lost city, plus a vacuum, plus a luxray. Has the heavy Basically ball it. as well. Or Rowan has the heavy ball because he has luxray, I assume. Yeah, they maybe cooked a little bit together for sure as possible. <laughs> I mean, I don't think that's true. I mean, maybe. I don't know. Why not? Can't just two players who enjoy Mew like hit each other up and be like a pair of Mew connoisseurs? Yeah, can't a pair of Mew connoisseurs get together this... and discuss Mew? We did this thing on the stream where Every time someone got brought up to the stage, they asked them a fun fact about themselves. What is like something they would want to share with the stream for the commentators to say or something like that. And Colin's fun fact was that he only plays Mew. And if you click on his <laughs> Limitless page, <laughs> he has only played Mew. It's honestly kind of a hilarious page. Literally. How does this compare to Fabrizio's page? Because Fabrizio, player from Latin America... Yeah, yeah. Uh, also, only oh, not only tainted with lost box. Yeah. yeah, come on now. You got to give it to Colin on this one, to be honest. <laughs> Fabrizio betrayed Mew at NAIC. Yeah, but, and uh, at but realized their faults and uh, encouraged by went back to the Mew. <laughs> um, but yeah, that is, is Mew, Mew purist, though. Oh, I guess one thing we should spend a little bit of time talking about Raymond's list. We mentioned it yeah. that Kyogre won. But yeah, we should definitely talk about the winning list overall because it's definitely pretty different. pretty different from Estrada's list. So, I mean, it's two North American regionals in a row that Kyogre has won the event. A Canadian player playing Kyogre has won the event as well, by the way. Um, yeah. yeah, this one is pretty different. It's got the Pidgeot V instead of the normal 
Dragonite and Raikou that we're used to seeing. It's got the Zamazenta and some Metal Energies in there. Azul, what do you think? It's a more of a one one prize focused build. Still values the four seal stones really highly though, so it still includes the Pidgeot. Um, yeah, you're never leaving it in play, but you know it's there to hold four seal stone and give yourself more outs to the Colrus. Most of the time, that's what you're looking for off it, or just whatever you need to set up. Um, but yeah, one, one more of a one prize focused build. You just need like a heavy hitter alongside the Kyogre. Like the other option that we've seen in the past has been like a Snorlax is sometimes included, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. uh, but you just need a little bit more to be able to get those initial prize cards to be able to close out games with Kyogre. So that's why the two prize Pokemon are nice because you have more things to hold the four seal stone. They're also attackers for certain matchups. Uh, and it gives you a little bit more flexibility in your matchups as well to have the Raikou, to have the Dragonite because you can, you can just have something big yourself, right? Whereas when you don't have those, you're kind of just limited to these, you know, shrimps who get KO'd by literally anything. So, <laughs> but it means you're only giving up the one prize card, right? And yeah, the heavy, you definitely need some kind of heavy hitter. So the Zamazenta makes sense. The Snorlax beating here would have made sense as well, but Zamazenta hits a little bit harder. It does right. kind of, I don't know, pollute your energy though. Like now you have to play metal energies. Whereas it like, puts a strain on your resources for sure. Cause you have to Mirage yeah. Gate to it as well. Sometimes you have to play an extra rod or a recycler to just get the energies back to attack with it if you mm -hmm. want to attack with it more than once. Yeah. But I, yeah, I think it's cool. I mean, it's good. Like Lost Box, this is what I was saying about Lost Box. Like, there's just so many ways to play Lost Box, which is like one of the ways that it's way more intriguing and enjoyable to play than something like, like compared to like why people are still playing Lost Box and not Lost Tina. It's like Lost Tina is just kind of not as fun to play because you're like kind of forced to play Lost Tina and you can't do weird stuff. Like, well, now we go from like, yeah, a two prize Kyogre build, just one Pittsburgh. Now we got a one prize Kyogre build when in Fiora. Is Kyogre just kind of broken? Maybe, <laughs> maybe Kyogre is just like, it doesn't matter what you run with it. If you got the ogre, you know, you're good to go. So definitely, the, I mean, it's the most powerful attack in the game that we have right now. So yeah, 500 damage in play in one turn is pretty good. Well, let's I think one more list we should maybe mention is the, the Sablezard. Because Sablezard also, uh, yeah, uh, sure, maybe sure, the sure. biggest surprise in top eight besides Raymond's list was uh, was the Sablezard that showed up. Sablezard is not a deck that I've like completely written off personally before this event, but I just have not put any time into it. So when everyone asks, when anyone asks me about Sablezard, I'm always like, eh, I mean, it could be okay, but it seems like it's worse than just like Mirage Gate builds of Lost Box, but I haven't really played with it at all. So maybe it's better than I'm giving it credit for. And it did show up and yeah, Terrence made top eight with uh, uh, nothing super unique, to be honest. We've seen kind of all these texts before. Besides the Ditto. The Ditto's like the big thing, I think. But the Articuno we've seen from like Pedro. Pedro's a huge fan of the Articuno to allow your cram to hit for 120 to KO Cresselia. Uh, the Spirit Tomb is in here as not just your Mew counter, but it's also good against Lugia decks to hopefully slow them down through their Luminians. They're very Luminian reliant. Um, so you get a little bit of a, a combo counter there. A little good against Lugia, which is a pretty tough matchup with unless you're able to like cheese them a little bit with the Spirit Tomb. It also gives you some help against Mew, which is a terrible matchup if you don't have any kind of counter. Uh, but the Ditto, I guess, like stands out as like the number one. Everything else besides that, we've seen this all before, right? But the thing that stands out, I guess, like the Ditto, trying to get that the theoretical third or fifth Comfy in the deck, a new card from 151, is like the big thing uh, that's different here. Yeah, and there's actually some kind of discussion around Ditto happening in the community too about like, is it worth playing this card? And I think it's a cool card. I don't know that it's necessarily worth playing, but it is kind of like playing a 59 card deck because on turn one, you can just search it out with nest ball or VIP pass, put it into play. Even if you don't start it, obviously if you start yeah. it, it's a fifth comfy. So it does increase your chances to start a comfy technically. Uh, if you, if you don't comfy. start it, you can still just pull it out of the deck, switch it to the active and then immediately go get the other comfy out of the deck. So you just thin your deck by one card right away. It would, it would, yeah, it would only hurt. I don't know if Chip heard me. It would only hurt if you prize four comfy. And then in that case, there is a percentage where it's not a fifth comfy. 
you probably just concede though, Fair. so it's fine. <laughs> Fair. Um, yeah, I don't know if it's worth the the trade off. I think opening Comfy is a little bit more important in this than like a turbo loss box, though. Mm -hmm. I would say. Um, and yeah, you're, like you're not really you are theoretically playing with like a 59 card deck though. Like if you don't open the Ditto, you're like playing with a 59 card deck. Is it worth it? Generally in Pokemon, like I think a lot of Pokemon decks. No, no. Play Even more if you than... open it, you're playing with a. Why is it any different? I don't know if you don't. Oh, wait. Am I like? Yeah, yeah. No matter what, you're playing with a 59 card deck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you're right. You're right. You're right. And then if you prize it, as you get it off your prize card, it's just a dead card, right? Um, sure. Yeah, I don't know where I thought I was going with that one, to be honest. But yeah, generally in Pokemon, decks would play more than 50 cards if they could, or more than 60 cards if they could, right? So yeah, the question is, is but it's a pretty big, it's like an 8% increase, I think, to have the Ditto in there. Um, so that's like a pretty big, that's pretty relevant. You want to open Comfy, right? And I said, like, I think I feel like it feels like it's a little bit more relevant in the Sablezard. Because yeah, you want to get to 10 like ASAP. You don't have that many big attacking options. You have Sableye and Radiant Charizard, and that's it. But you look at something yeah. like the Kyogre build, you got the Zamzenta, you got the Kyogre, you got the Sableye, you got more big attacking builds. You even go to like the two prize build, and there's even more options for big attacking things to like swing. And it the, does give you the tempo into your favor again. It does give you like a little flexibility too. Like I could definitely imagine there being a world where you look at your opening hand and you like have everything you need to Cramorant turn one. So you just play those pieces out and then get Ditto active and then go get your Cramorant, right? Like, so it has like a little bit more flexibility. Yeah, yeah I could. Yeah, it's, I guess it's like another out to Cram as well um, on the end of the turn. Yeah. Um, so yeah, let's, with all this information here from Peoria, we do have another regionals this weekend. So it's like, there ain't no rest for... You ever heard there's ain't no rest for the wicked? There ain't no rest for the Pokemon TCG player because there is, yeah, just one more tournament coming right up. So let's do this time some meta share predictions. We always kind of like talk about what we think a deck is going to be in the meta, but let's like put a hard number on each of the top handful of decks here and say what we think they're going to be. So starting with Charizard, 15% in Peoria. We both kind of thought it was going to be around that 10-ish, maybe 12%, up to 15 though. You think that remains true in Sacramento? So the one thing to think about this with these being so close is a lot of people aren't going to change decks based off Peoria. They'll just tech their deck differently, right? Yeah. So Peoria happened, and you shouldn't. To be honest, the vast majority of players should not switch just because lost, because if you have a lot, bad Lost Box Kyogre deck matchup and it just won the last regional, you shouldn't switch decks. Oh, you might oh, tech here, differently. One more thing, too. 1,700 players in Peoria... How many of those 1,700 players do you think will be playing in Sacramento? I'm actually interesting. I think actually Shemansky had a stat on that a while ago where it was like how many new how many players, players on like average? only played one tournament a year? Yeah, yeah, basically something like that. And you could like kind of deduce what was the average amount of like returning players or had already been in a regional. It's I guess that'd be definitely a, a few hundred. Yeah, I mean, it'll be like it's a it's a some. decent chunk of the it's a decent percentage of the room for sure. Yeah, because there's, I mean, if, let me go look at uh, what we're talking about, Sacramento. Mm -hmm. 1,700, take out 200. So there's 1,500 masters. Looking at 1,400 masters. Maybe 400 of them were at? Yeah. I don't know. It's so hard to tell. The, the less, the better, to be honest. As far as, like, growth of the game goes, the less that are, like, I don't know if that actually makes any sense. But, yeah, there's <laughs> going to be some, right? What What is the number? I'm actually not too sure. But, yeah, they'll probably be all playing pretty much the same deck for the most part. Um, but Zard, I think it definitely has to come down, right? We're not going higher. Could it be 15 again? I think 12 or 10. It's in the 10 to 12. It's in like the 10 range, but it, it goes up instead of maybe going down. 
Yeah, I think minimum 12. I think it's minimum 12. And okay, I could really? see it being 15 again, for sure. Even though it didn't Sheesh. it didn't top 8 deck. or anything like that. But, like, it has solid matchups against the decks that were in top 8, right? Like, it's fine I against the Lost Box decks. It's fine against Maridon. I need that spirit uh, maybe not as grabbered. much with the path builds. Maybe you're a little scared of the Mew stuff, right? With the... <laughs> With the uh, the grabber path combo judge all yeah. that stuff, I don't know. You could play if you if you play your if you play your own spear tomb. I think you overcome you. Yeah, and that um, might and be then, the tech worth including in your Charizard deck, right? Yeah, if you're not trying to get grabbered. Yeah, now I'm sure a lot of people are going to take their Zard deck and they'll be like, okay, do I need a tech for that matchup? Let's test it. You know how how good of a matchup does grabber Mew actually have, or handlock Mew? We can call it that. How how good of a matchup does handlock Mew have against Zard? And if it's still like only 50-50, might not be worth teching for because I think we'll see more text from you in general showing up. So the Zard players might just be like, eh, if it's a 50 50, I'll take it. But if it's like bad, it's like a 60, 60, 40, 70, 30 in Handlock's favor, then you probably want to add the Spirit Tomb bat into your deck and you just kind of beat them with the Spirit Tomb. So Spirit Tomb is also pretty good against Colorless Lugia. Pretty good against Lugia. Yeah, maybe Zard's broken all misses, that also, also missing that Spirit Tomb. Also, it's good against Maridon. Shut off the Raikou, shut off. That's is that it. it? That's it. It's not that good Luminian, against Maradon. They it's sometimes okay. play Luminian. It's shut off the Raikou. Fleetfoot, dude, the amount of games I've been able to play because of Fleetfoot <laughs> is pretty high. Shut off the Raikou. Um, but yeah, Spirit Team seems like a solid inclusion in Zard if, to fix that matchup. Potentially. It does. I, it is I think it's got to come down. It does kind of give your opponent another odd prize, which might not be good, right? It's like not too hard to draw two odd prizes against Zard, though. I feel like it, it's pretty easy because like, they put yeah. the Mew in play and then you boss around the Mew and then the mm-hmm. Mew's still there, so... Well, you don't. Yeah, um, yeah. I guess. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, I'm gonna put it down here as 12. percent Are you okay with that? Yeah, let's go 12. Yeah, 12. percent Could definitely see it still being up to 15 though. All right, Lugia. We'll just combine both the Lugias here once again. Yeah. I think it's just you know they are obviously different decks, but um, you know just for simplicity's sake, probably still right around that 10 ish percent. Could see yeah, it I think it'll even come down. Yeah, I could see it going down because of the poor conversion rate, maybe. Yeah, uh, but Lugia, I mean, it's just like I don't think it's a deck that's really realistically day one ever going to be below ten percent. Yeah, it doesn't be hard hard sell for sure. Right on though. On the other hand, I could definitely see just holding true at at twelve. Yeah, could it come up? Would Ryan ever be the most popular deck? In no shot at twelve. Locking at twelve. Let's stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> you're saying i'm giving i'm giving maridon nothing yeah we can lock no, it i think maridon's a solid choice yeah you shouldn't if you're on maridon like and this is what i was a lot of people were telling me like asking me like uh before the tournament before pr it's like i've been playing maridon should i keep playing it zard's scary i'm like yeah you put the pass in there the matchup becomes better like if it's the deck you've touched it the most like the number one factor for your result is going to be your play so like yeah play them right and we saw two of them top eight right like yep um and i think it'll be the same thing here like it's it's maridon's not the best deck in the format Tough time against Lost Box. Um, tough time against Zard, probably still, right? So, but like, it's not like terrible matchups, right? You can beat pretty much anything with Maridon. So, Artie. Gertie, probably 10. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're kind of aligned on our thoughts here, I think, for most things. I mean, it's a 10 format, though. We're in a 10, for- a 10 format sometimes. Lost Box? Yeah. 10. 10. <laughs> <laughs> Like we saw Lost Tina at Barcelona was 16% after it was like 13% in Pittsburgh, but then like a bunch of 10s. Like this time, like our standout deck was like the Charizard at 15, but then everything else was 10 to 12. You know, Lugia got 13, whatever. Gian Pao, does this become a 10 all of a sudden? Do we get to 10 with Gian Pao? I don't think it gets boosted. Don't think so? Think it holds at eight or are we going down? Um, wait, yeah. What if, what would it even eat into? Like, 
Maybe Chimpao eats into Lugia a little bit. Maybe Lugia drops down and Chimpao goes up. Maybe Lugia is like the eight. I'm kind of rethinking what I said earlier. No, so Lugia players are just Chimpao players in disguise? Maybe so. (laughs) Well, I'm just trying to think like what decks who gets converted to chi and Pao. yeah 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 <laughs> who is who is kieran kieran and converted Verdi, yeah. um after kieran and put out the the chi and Pao bible who's uh <laughs> who's picking it up giving it a read and convert at that point yeah i don't know because yeah the, the, for a deck to become more popular other decks have to become less popular right maybe just more less lost less you know what Lost Tina's just going down. It's going all the way down. <laughs> That's where the meta shares into, yeah. going. Jim Powell's up. Lost Tina down. Lost okay, Tina's going to stay down until zero percent. Eight percent. Eight percent. Jim Powell. I could see Jim Powell being a ten though. I could. I think it's on the. I think it's on I the. I don't eight. disagree. Like I think when I think about these numbers, like when I give Gardvor ten, I think Gardvor's going to be ten or less. When I think about, we're basically, uh, by the way, just recreating the Peoria numbers, like almost exactly. It's a ten percent meta though. Like <laughs> there's going to be a couple decks that go above. Um, but yeah, when I think about something about Chi and Pao right now, I feel like Chi and Pao is an eight plus deck. I feel like Maridon is also like a ten plus deck. So when I give something like a ten percent, there's either a plus or a minus, where it's like ten to twelve or ten to eight. You know what I'm saying? Um, Lostina, two percent, lock it up. I mean, I think it's like no less than seven or six, honestly. And I could see it hopping back up there. No just because it's well, just because people like we've already established, there's probably going to be a thousand players in this tournament who didn't compete in Peoria. A large majority of them already know what they're playing, right? Like, and I feel bad for them if they're picking up the Lost Tina. They've like locked it in for two, three weeks now. They're like, yes, Lost Tina. They're going to show up. <laughs> I mean, someone's got to go through drop. You know, might as well be the Lost Tina players. You know, Sheesh. I don't think <laughs> Savage is always on the Lost. Yeah, Tina. probably around six still. Probably around six percent still. You know. That would, be the lowest to the tournament. that would be the lowest it's been since in uh since naic i guess propaganda can only go so far chip at some point people have to come around and be like wait i'm going 03 at every single tournament i better put this thing away and i put rapid strike on here it's obviously not going to be on the chart but it's probably the most next most notable deck i would say and i have a tough time with rapid strike. Right, i didn't even I was put pretty Mew hyped. on here what am i doing i didn't put Mew on here we got well Mew add me while i talk about rapid strike rapid strike i was pretty hype on going into this tournament but one matchup like I'm not 100% confident is the Charizard matchup. And if it does have a bad Charizard matchup, I would say Rapture is probably not a great deck because the Colas Lugia, the Lugia matchup is just horrendous. Colas or non colas I was like actually unsure about the Colas Lugia matchup until I played it. And I was just like, Mew just carries this matchup so hard. Um, even Weirdier can get in there. If like you KO their Urshifu with Weirdier, they just don't have a response to your mm. Weirdier. Like, um, so yeah, that's really hard. Rapture Strike, I feel like it's, if the Charizard matchup is bad, Rapid Strike is bad. If the Charger matchup is good, if it's favorable, I think it has to be favorable, though. Then I think Rapid Strike is still in a solid spot, but it'll never be above like a 4% deck, 3, 4%, right? Like it's never breaking. It's just one of those decks, you know, that never will break that, break those numbers. Cause it is a little bit more of a meta Kali deck. Um, so it's, it's hard to get it right. And not a lot, not enough people are trying to go out of their way to get it right. So you want to play something that's like can be pretty much everything. Rapid um, Strike, then, yeah, 4%. Forward. Yeah, 4%. And then Mew. I don't know what percentage Mew was at the tournament. It wasn't on the top six. It was below. It was less than seven point nine. I I actually don't know for sure. Do do they get split into two different categories? No, Mew and no, okay. DT Infusion. No, but I would expect it to heavily favor DTE Mew for this tournament. And it will increase, but I think it'll do really bad because I well, think we'll see stuff like Maridon 
Add yeah, I think we'll see too. Spear Tombs Index. Yeah, there'll be a little bit more sp- so I think maybe Spear Tombs specifically. As Mew players, should they react and not play DT, play Fusion? If there's if you know Colin Merley Matthews, we'll just lose to Charizard. Like, <laughs> so you play yeah. Fusion and just lose to Charizard, then like you're gonna be like to beat the Spear Tombs, I'm gonna lose to Charizard. <laughs> like, yeah. and then imagine if the Charizard rolls up with Spear Tomb. <laughs> it's just like I think Mew is gonna be more popular because like the deck is cool, right? The handlock build of the deck is really sick, right? Mew's fun. It's sick. It'll be more popular, I think, than Peoria, but I think it'll have a worse time. It did pretty well at uh, Peoria overall, to be honest. There was like three of them in the top 17 players or whatever, including... Uh, we'll give it an Colin We'll give Rowan. it an eight. Oh, okay. That's way too high. All right, maybe that is... Maybe that, all right, give it an eight. <laughs> I love how quick your mind gets changed. You broke a streak finally of not being on the graphic, though. We can mention that, right? It's been on the graphic every single time since Mew's been a card. And finally... Did it never no miss? Way. I feel like it missed at Worlds. No, day one Worlds. It. I think it missed Day One Worlds. Ooh, okay, you might be you might be right. I think it missed Day One Worlds. Okay. All right. Well, let's just do a couple quick Sacramento predictions and then we'll move on. We gotta get rolling here. This is getting pretty long already. All right. Over- Chip's always complaining. No <laughs> one else complains about how long the podcast is except Chip. Let him know in the comment section once again. Dude. Let him know. Be like, Chip, we want longer podcast episodes. Right, Chip, you can go ahead and complain again. Almost what I am, man. Come on. <laughs> All right, I got some quick predictions get, for Sacramento tomorrow. We got some interesting ones. Over under on the amount of championship points the winner will have before the win, and the over under yep. is on two two hundred fifty point five. Chip, do you think they'll have more than that before they win, or less than that? Yeah, I'm gonna go with over two hundred fifty point five. And I know okay. you're gonna say under because you're picking yourself. <laughs> Well, now that you've picked over, I'm down to pick myself for the under uh, to have a little bit of back and forth here because I have zero championship points. My plan is to win the tournament. So I'm going to go ahead with under. You know what would be funny? We should do a I we be... should do like a community vote, a vote. How many regionals, how many majors will it take for Azul to earn championship <laughs> points? I was just about to say, what if I just like, like would I, could I be the first world's competitor with zero championship points? Has anyone else like earned zero championship points after they've gotten top four worlds? Blaine Hill. Oh, okay. So I wouldn't be the first, but I could join Blaine with that. I could get he that got stat. Top four, right? Am I tripping? Yeah, yeah, he yeah. Got Blaine top got four. top four. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Did Blaine didn't earn a single championship point that season? Not that I, he didn't play that. He was in college. He was just like, yeah, this works perfect. I. <laughs> and also because, no, well, maybe he did pre-COVID. He definitely didn't post-COVID because he got top four at 2019 worlds and then 2022 yeah. worlds didn't happen so the tournament didn't happen until 2022 so yeah. i'm pretty sure he may have had some points in 2019 2020 before yeah. covid uh and then when we came back he definitely did not from salt lake to worlds he had zero yeah. points for sure that might be like a stat worth adding to like my accolades you know like this like there's once you do once you like do so many things in the pokemon tcg you gotta That's like not find a stat, other things bro. i mean it could be nowadays That's is crap <laughs> No, that's like a one of those weird sports stats that they throw out there, you know? When the moon is full on <laughs> October Azul 30th. did so bad at the start of the season, he just decided <laughs> to stop playing <laughs> and took his free invite. It's, yeah, it's, I, mean, it's, I, have, I have that as the backup, right? Just in case it just keeps going bad. Maybe I'm just like, you know what? I'm just going to do content the rest of the year. No more competing. We'll take a break. See you all next season. Um, or maybe I just like chain them, you know? Top four after top four after top four. Sneak a dub in there. I just actually never play besides Worlds ever again. That would be sick. You to be become honest. the new Tom Dozel. 
Yeah, that'd be like the next. That'd be like the next level of Tom Dosley. Like, oh, there's top four worlds every single year to get your invite. Yeah, I'm down. All right, I'll do it. You know, what? you've convinced me, Chip. Highest uh, placing lost <laughs> Tina at the tournament. This is the prediction Azul always comes back to. I think it's a good one. Pick a deck that's a little bit controversial or like a new deck. It's, I gotta say, I think the deck is only controversial because of you. That's good. That makes it funny though. It's like, <laughs> that is hilarious though that people care enough. Well, listen. I think my opinion is pretty good on most things in the Pokemon TCG, right? And I, I think it's cool that people care about that hey, sometimes. But it is funny. Whenever when... Cosmic Eclipse came out, what what did you think about that card, Arceus, Dialga, and Palkia? It wasn't broken until Zacian came out. We didn't have the... It was good. Was it, was it in your top 10 Keldeo. Cosmic Eclipse cards? It was not. It channel? should have been. It should have been. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and say the highest place in Lost Tina will be... Pretty good opinions. Pretty good opinions over Top here. 64. Because, like, some people are still going to play it. It is a solid deck. I think yeah, how much you have to work for for the trade-off though is like not worth it. Like yeah, the amount of the amount they have to work for like Lost Box Kyogre is like worth the trade-off. How much you have to work for Lost Tina is not worth the trade-off. So yeah, top 64, still gonna be played a decent amount. There's still gonna probably be some decent players playing it, but actually yeah. not nah, top 128. Put them in the dirt. Oh, sheesh. Yeah, we're going further. I've thought about it a little bit more. No shot, bro. Top 128. I'm going to give it the top. I was going to agree with you on the top 64. It did get one top 32 finish in Peoria. Someone got 30th place. They got so the lucky. Deck. They drew so hot. They had, There's no way. Shout outs and to then, Aaron West. But yeah, I'm going to go with top 64. And yeah, we'll go on to the last prediction here is the highest placing non-meta chart deck. So this kind of has two levels to it, right? Only yeah. six decks get put on the meta chart. And we're going to say, like, day one meta chart deck, not day two, day one. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. what deck do we think is going to have the highest placement that is not in the top six day one decks is kind of the question. Maybe a little too many levels to this prediction, but hopefully no, you, get two the, levels. you understand where we're at. Yeah, so we have to come up with a deck that we don't think will be on the meta chart. And I if it explained is, we it lose. already. And then we have to be like, which one do we think is going to be the highest placing of a non-meta chart deck? Yeah, for the people who don't That's understand anything Chip says, but understand Azul, you now understand. I'm going with Lost Tina. <laughs> <laughs> so you think that no decks, no, no, no. seven, No, there eight. will be. Give me... Oh my gosh. It's going to be an Arceus deck. This is chaos. There's a couple of them. I'm going to go with Arceus. Lugia's not as popular. Arceus... Volpix slash flying Pikachu. There'll be a Arceus with a Volpix. That is going to be my guess. Will be the highest play with a Volpix. It might have a flying Pikachu as well. I don't know. I don't think people are going to be as hype on playing Duraludon though anymore because there's going to be less Lugia for sure. So that's going to be Arceus picks. I'm going to make the call that of the top. I'm going to try to make the call on what the like seventh deck is. Actually, no. I'm going to make the call on what a known good deck is. That is never on the meta chart, and I'm gonna go with Rapid Strike. Ooh, okay, that's kind of cheating, but we'll we'll accept it. That's fine. <laughs> uh, is it cheating or is it just, uh, you know, playing to the rules laid out in front of me? You know, I don't know it how to Rapid Strike book, do. How much time I'm allowed to take per action? You know, dude, man, Rapid Strike had a bad time. Where's the highest placing Rapid Strike here? Oh wait, maybe I should have looked at that. I'm still going. I guess I missed it. You probably missed 97th. it. 97th. That's the highest placing one? <laughs> Abort. No, no, no. 85th. 85th. Excuse me. No, no way. Yeah, that's crazy. The deck usually is like, one of them usually like, if you just hit your good matchups, you're just cruising. 
Yeah, dang. 85th place. Highest finishing rapid strike. They got farmed in day two. Jeez, that Charizard <laughs> matchup must not be good. That is the question for me, to be honest. That's the question I've been trying to trying to figure out the answer to. I was about to make the call that Mew was not going to be on the top six decks, and I was going to go with Mew, but... Could not. It might I'm not be. Sticking to my again. guns. We're going with Rapid Strike. All right, let's get it. I mean, it'll come around hopefully for it. We'll see. Well, before we get into everyone's favorite segment of the show, we do have to take a moment to thank our fantastic sponsor. Honestly, this is probably someone's favorite segment of the show. As we thank our sponsor, Dragon Shield. Huge thanks to Dragon Shield for being a sponsor of the Uncommon Energy Podcast. Dragon Shield, of course, makes some of the best card gaming and tabletop gaming products and accessories. On the market, including sleeves, binders, deck boxes, and so, so much more. Azul, would you rock this weekend? If you say Blood uh, Reds, I'm going to scream. <laughs> I did actually for the first half a day when I had the Blood Reds. And then oh, I re-sleeved with the Tangerines. The day one re-sleeve? Dude, that's so cringe. You've got to stop doing that. <laughs> You're not... Just, it, it, nothing's going to happen just, to you, man. Oh, yeah, nothing's going to happen. But I just like... I just like... like I just like... I need that new sleeve feel. You know, I just need it. I need it. Um, so I got it uh, and I did it and I didn't really change my outcome, to be honest. Nothing really changed, but yeah, nothing really changed. Um, yeah, I rocked the blood reds and the tangerines. Uh, the tangerines are one of my favorite colors. That's one of my favorites. So I don't think I've used the tangerines. Big fan. Um, but yeah, big shout out to Dragon Shield as always for being a sponsor of the podcast. Appreciate it. Go check them out at uh, dragonshield.com slash webshop slash US or EU, depending on where you're located. And of course, they're literally available everywhere else. You can find them anywhere. And with that said, Chip, go ahead, kick us off into the flavor text. All right. It is time for Guess That Flavor Text, where each week Azul or I picks a card for the other host. We read the flavor text off of the card, and the other person has to try to guess which pokemon card we are reading which card which pokemon is featured on the card we are talking about there are three lifelines you can use to try to get you a little bit of extra help you can ask what set the card is from what stage the card is or have the other host read an attack name it is my turn this week to pick a card for azul i've got one picked out that i hope he has a chance to get we'll see though we'll see hit me and uh, yeah, are you ready? I'm ready, Chip. All right. Aided by the soft pads on its feet, it silently raids the food stores of other Pokemon. It survives off its ill-gotten gains. All right. Soft pads on its feet. So it sounds like some kind of like dog Pokemon, maybe. I'm trying to think if there's any dog I mean, the, what is the one that's like really fluffy? It's like the the graveyard Pokemon, the graveyard dog. I don't know if it would be that. So let's go with what set the card is from to begin with. To be honest, give me a little bit of a yeah, yeah. The frame. card is from Sword and Shield base set. All right, Sword and Shield base set. Well, then it, it can't be that Pokemon because that can't Pokemon came out in Scarlet and Violet. All right, I got that down. Oh, that's like the first time Azul has ever made that connection. <laughs> whenever being given a set name usually Based it's like i generation. give him a gen 3 set and he's like hmm okay so it could be magnazone <laughs> pokemon which didn't exist back then all right what uh we have to go a little i think we just need more here what stage is the card it is a basic okay it did sound like it was going to be a basic maybe i didn't really need that one i kind of knew it was going to be a basic right, give me an attack name let's go with that its attack name is instigate 
Uh, instigate. That sounds like it goes to a colorless Pokemon. If I had to guess, man, I am just like completely lost on this one. Maybe it's Furfru, Frufru, Furfru. What set did I say it was from? Sword and Shield. There could be a Furfru and Sword and Shield, as far as I know. There's probably not, but. <laughs> I, I honestly to have... help you, man. I literally re... before we recorded and I was picking the card, I said, Azul, what Pokemon game have you played? And I said Sword and Shield. The only okay. one I've ever played. Okay. Yeah, I know, but this is not Zation, but it's not Zation. Read me the uh <laughs> read me the I said like a dog. Think about Pokemon. your time playing the second. game. Think about the Pokemon that you encountered when you were playing the game. What about the Litten? There's Incineroar. What about Inc oh, oh my no. gosh, that's the wrong generation, oh. man. <laughs> Come on. All right, read it to me one last time, and I'm going to make a guess. Oh, my gosh. You're really trying to give me this one. Outrageous. I just want <laughs> you to have something. All right, give it to me one last time. Aided by the soft pads on its feet, it silently raids the food stores of other Pokemon. It survives off its ill-gotten gains. It's kind of like a mischievous thieving Pokemon. Oh, is it? No, probably not. Instigate, but that would work with it as well. Uh, Impidimp? That's all. That's what I got right now is Impidimp. We're locking in Impidimp. Bro, you... I'm gonna <laughs> scream. You were, like, so stupidly close. What word did you say? It's a thieving Pokemon? Oh, thievil, so it's... And what does a thievil evolve from? I don't know. Oh, my. Gosh. <laughs> it's Nicket. Oh, oh, I know this card too. Yeah, with the instigate. Yeah, I've seen this one before. Um, yeah, did not get that one. <sighs> <laughs> you oh my gosh. You like a thousand percent caught one of these when you played the game. I don't know if I did. Dude, it's like one of the first Pokemon you encounter. <laughs> it's like so early in the game. It was definitely early enough in the game where you were like, oh yeah, I'm playing this game. I'll catch everything that's new I see. Like the new Fox you... Pokemon? Okay. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Get your Switch out right now. Open it up. Sword and Shield. You've got a Nicket in, in your the box. box. I promise you. There you might probably be have a Thievil yeah. on your team. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, I could have gone a little bit further. Yeah. I, yeah. I got close. Not quite there, <laughs> no, you though. didn't. All right. We got some new oh. cards to take a look at, give our thoughts on. I think the biggest thing to talk about here before we take a look at the cards is that uh, we're basically, we mentioned this with Obsidian Flames, it, one week difference or two weeks difference in the set releases in Japan and over here, everywhere else in the world. Um, and it's basically confirmed, I feel like, with this set release that they're, they're going to almost effectively line us up with the Japan set releases. So Ancient Roar and Future Flash release on October 27th. And just a week later, on October or November 3rd, mm -hmm. we get Paradox Rift. Like, that's... We've been waiting for this for forever. And as it's long as you've here. been in the game, I feel like this has been a yeah. thing, right? Yeah, pretty much as long as I... Yeah, as long as I've been playing, we've been, like, waiting for this to line up. Um, we basically already knew that we were going to rotate with the same format that Japan rotates with because we haven't gotten any rotation information yet. So we're going to rotate sometime January, February, for sure in the same format that where Japan rotates, we already knew that was going to happen. The one thing that we weren't sure about was, you know, are the set releases going to continue to line up? And they are, which is sick. Like, this is like so good for the game. Like that's yeah. Now we're not going to have, now, now we're not going to know half the decks when we get our set release. Cause Japan has already had it for like one or two months. So there's going to be so much like more time to like 
experience that to be honest the creation of the new deck so i'm a big fan of of that personally as like a content creator and somebody who you know streams a lot of pokemon and stuff like that so i'm super excited for this to be a reality and i i mean the only thing i can think of is that like <laughs> tpci could take this away from us but i, I assume that they're doing this they're gonna keep doing it so yeah i'm super excited for this to be a continuous thing where we just get the set one week after japan does so that's gonna be sick yeah, so, I mean, that does kind of bring up an interesting question. And Robin actually tweeted about this. I don't think we've talked about this on the podcast. Um, you know, when cards come out in Japan, they are legal for tournament play the second they come out. The second someone yep. can get their hands on a card, you can go play it in an official sanctioned event. In the rest of the world, you have to wait two weeks. It's a, a two-week period, and I think the idea is, like, you're just giving people more time to get their hands on their cards, right? They're ordering cards, singles online from shops that open up tons of booster boxes, and uh, you give yourself a chance to get your hands on them before it's time to play. And Robin put out a tweet recently. You, of course, webmaster over at Limitless and 2018 world champion. He asked, I'm curious what people think about the current legality rule for new cards. I believe every other TCG, as well as Pokemon in Japan, lets players use new, new cards in tournaments immediately after release while we have a two-week waiting period. So yeah, that, which is, a, he brings up another good point in this main post, right? That other card games, think Yu-Gi-Oh, One Piece, all those things, cards are legal literally the second you can get their hands your hands on them, just like it is in Japan. Um, and overall, the vote on his Twitter poll was, uh, you had 1,800 people voting on this. 50% of the people said that two weeks would be fine, 25% saying one week would be fair, and 25% saying it should be removed. So if we're moving to a release date that's really close to Japan's, would it ever make sense to have a legality date be the same as Japan's as well and also copy what every other card game does? Uh, I don't think so. I think that just sounds worse. Like, why would you not want to give time? Like, it, like... Because the like hype dies the... down, right? But, but think not about the regionals not in competition, though. Think about the regionals that have happened when a new set is not legal for play, like that in during that two week grace period. It's happened multiple times. Those regionals are no fun to play in, and they're no fun to broadcast either. It's like they yeah. do worse viewership wise because people just don't care anymore. People have moved on. People are new excited about out, the yeah. new stuff. Yeah. I mean, the one thing that would suck would just be like. Well, you just can't get the cards for like that would suck, right? Like maybe a week then at that point. Cause you'd want to be able to like what if you like Charizard releases and like you even have like a list prepped and then you just can't get four Charizard or three Charizard before the tournament happens. Like that would suck. Yeah. Like, I don't know. That's like the one thing I think about is just like I like the idea of having a little bit of time to get the cards. Um so I also would 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 then that re- lead to so wait, October twenty seventh. Hold up. What is that? Is that a Friday still? Yeah, um, probably. It is a Friday. So what if you have tournaments on Saturday and Sunday? The set drops on the 27th, and it's like, boom, Saturday, Sunday. Go get your cards. Like, like you have 24 hours or less to get your cards for your tournament the next day. Your league, yeah. cup, your league challenge, whatever. So I don't. I think a week. Um, I think a, I would be fine with a week, I think. But I think you giving people time to get the cards to play in the tournament and not making it, oh, the first the people who can actually get the cards is just at, at an advantage um, is... is uh, is good because otherwise that does kind of breed and i wonder if that is in other card games where it's just like the players with the best connections um and who can get the cards the soonest like is that just a, an advantage inherently just an advantage like um because i would yeah. like there to be an even playing field right in that in that kind of sense so maybe a week i could see a week 
And there were some good responses to this tweet as well. Like this person, Jimmy, says the difference with other card games, I played Digimon and One Piece, is that a booster box in these games gives you a lot of playables. I could buy one box and have a play set of all commons and uncommons. Yeah. In Pokemon, you can have zero cards of an uncommon trainer in a box. Like you could buy a box of Paldea Evolved and get zero Ionos out of it, right? I mean, I guess if you're that unlucky, but that seems unlucky. <laughs> like I think you're getting an Iono. I mean, Probably. still, yeah, you're but not the getting sets a are so big. Set. The sets are so big. True, true, true. Yeah. So that's a part of it. And then Rahul also commented here and said the biggest difference between everywhere else in the world and Japan is the number of card stores and availability. Singles are found on every street corner wall to wall over there, making release day buys accessible. That doesn't hold true in the West where stores rarely have singles. And that is another good yeah. point. Like a lot of times I'll go into a card shop and they only sell magic the gathering singles they don't sell pokemon yeah. singles especially nowadays when pokemon singles are just not worth like stocking up you know pokemon singles are just not worth anything anymore so which is like a good it's like i think we're like not at the happy medium i think it's like a little bit too uh too not worth anything for card stores for local game stores um but obviously it's like a good thing where you can just order like four guard for ex online for two dollars each or something right but yeah um, i don't think we're at that crazy. happy medium, what has but... made it that be that way they just uh, up the rate. pull rates just, way too much. Yeah, yeah, the hit rates are just so good. Um, but like, yeah, I think you want that that happy medium where like local game stores can can uh, add some revenue to their revenue stream through Pokemon signals singles, um, and the game is still pretty cheap to get into, right? As well, you want like the happy medium. I think we're a little bit on the too favored towards players side of things right now, but. I think it would just be a really good thing if they made a concentrated effort to not have tournaments happen, like major tournaments, locals or yeah. whatever's fine. Well, they do already. Like the ICs are literally the date of when the IC happens is based around the release date of the set. Literally for the last forever, uh, ICs since like ICs last started, season we had one that wasn't, but yeah, generally yeah. yes. Well, that's because of like the 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 sets being messed up, the release dates of the sets being messed yeah. up. But generally, the new set releases two weeks, the new major set releases two weeks before the IC and is legal on the Friday of the IC competition, right? It's literally scheduled that way throughout the year. So um, if they made it, uh, if they made it, I mean, keeping it two weeks in that situation, I guess kind of seems fine, but maybe make it one week. Um, And then you literally just said something else that I was going to say something on, but I literally forgot what you said. What did you say? About card shops. Card shops something else yada so yada in japan no you're saying something card shops don't have major tournaments oh yeah just like schedule the t- major tournaments around like we had we have four events in a row like in north america for example we have four events in a row in or three events in october and then there's only laic in november yeah. maybe one of these tournaments in october should have been the week after laic right that's thanksgiving like, well, we always used to have LAIC on Thanksgiving, so you know what? We can have a regional on Thanksgiving. We Thanksgiving can make is an American <laughs> holiday. Right. Two weeks after LAIC. Boom. There we go. Right? 28th, yeah. 29th? Because what Thanksgiving is, what, the 21st, 22nd? There's one two weeks after that week that you're talking about. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. But like, yeah, I don't made, disagree. They could have yeah, maybe sure, spread sure, out sure. a little bit. But one, yeah. the week after Thanksgiving, maybe. Yeah, we could have maybe they maybe could have spread them out a little bit more, but I would be fine with one week. I think it would keep the game moving and flowing a little bit. Yeah, you wouldn't have like those back to back regionals like we had that last year, I think, where we had like back to back regionals that just weren't in the new format. And we we're like, all right, I mean, this is like whatever, I guess, you know, it definitely is less enjoyable to play, less enjoyable to watch. 
yeah, maybe one week is the the better sweet spot. Maybe just like change up. Maybe the schedule needs to be adjusted as well and be a little bit with that more in mind as well. Let's get in. But immediately, I'm not a big fan of immediately, to be honest. I'm not a big fan of immediately. Let's get into these new cards. A bunch of new ones. We've got several different articles here on Poker Beach we're going to go through. And we're going to start off with the first one here of note is the Armor Rouge EX. It's got the ability Crimson Armor. Uh, it is a 260 HP fire type stage one Pokemon with two retreat weak to water crimson armor ability. When this Pokemon is at full HP, it takes 80 less damage from attacks of your opponent's Pokemon. So if it's got full HP, it's up to 340 and then it's attack mm -hmm. might sound familiar to certain fire type players. It's got the scorching bazooka attack which I hope that's how it gets translated over here. I have to imagine it won't. I don't feel like they like the word bazooka. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's got 40 plus damage. This attack does 40 more damage for each fire energy attached to this Pokemon. First time I read this card, I was just like, it's a worse Sentinel Scorch VMAX. This card is terrible. It's not going to be that good. But Azul and I talked about it a little bit before, and he's uh, he reminded me of another card that exists and some things that make it pretty decent. Yeah. Also, like with the ability... It's kind of because it gives you you take reduced 80 damage. So it's hard to kind of just have like a chump go up there and break the ability because the chump has to be hitting for at least 90 damage. Right. So, yeah, right. Yeah. It's going to be hard for something to just come up there and poke it to remove the ability to not send up one of your main threats and then go into a main threat to clean it up later. Um, being weak to water is whatever. But yeah, there, it does have some good pieces. The other armor rouge with the fire off that can move as many fire energy from your bench pokemon to your active as you like as often as you like and then the bigger one i think for getting fire energy in play to be hitting harder with the armor rouge is that um is the magma basin which chip initially pointed out does two damage to your pokemon and i was like chip yeah. what if you just don't put the energy on your armor rouge x to not break its ability ahead of time and he's like genius yeah. and then you got to put it on this armor rouge and then or like any other fire pokemon you could just like play i don't know heatran radiant heatran pretty cool guy likes the damage even Okay. Oh, snap. Azul's <laughs> just made an archetype. Here we go. Someone stop him. Yeah, that's just like a lot of, like, what we've kind of said this before, and this is what we kind of said about Charizard X, to be honest. It's like, if the stats are high enough, it doesn't matter how, like, if it doesn't have anything, some cool new game-breaking thing, right? You don't need an alter creation to be good if you're just doing a lot of damage and have a lot of HP. And this thing yeah. has a lot of HP and could do a lot of damage. So, yeah, I'm a big fan of the armor, to be honest. Big fan. Do have another EX here. It's Galisopod EX. We can skip this one if you want. So it's not very good. <laughs> well, I'll just read it real quick at least. <laughs> 270 HP, water type stage one, three retreat, weak to lightning. It's got the Aqua Blade attack for two colorless. It does 70 damage. And then strategic retreat, water and two colorless, 170. Discard one energy from this Pokemon. If you do, switch this Pokemon with one of your benched Pokemon. Yeah, nothing too special going on there. <laughs> Are you annoyed that I read it? No, it's just funny. I think the next most relevant to read is the mouse hold, just because it's cool. Bro, we're going to read um, all the EXs. All right, go ahead, Chip. <laughs> he disappointed again. Altaria EX. It's a 260 HP stage one with no weakness and one retreat. It's got the ability Humming Heal. Once during your turn, you may heal 20 damage from each of your Pokemon. And then it has Light Pulse for a Water and a Metal Energy, 140. And then during your opponent's next turn, prevent all effects of attacks from your opponent's Pokemon done to this Pokemon. The heal's kind of cool. 
I knew you, you would put have a, something to say about it. You can put a rigid band on it. 290, reduce 30, heal, Ser- Radiant Serena, another yeah. 20. Yeah. And we scroll down Venusaur to Venusaur EX. That's a stage two. That stays in the binder. <laughs> We've got Mousehold EX here. 230 HP stage one. Okay. I think the lowest HP stage one we've seen so far. It's a little guy. Yeah. He's got free retreat, though. He's pretty quick. He's moving around, and he's got uh, <laughs> fighting weakness. I guess they are moving around. It is a family, after all, right? Yeah, the whole squad. Also, <laughs> <laughs> they're all moving and grooving. Yeah. Look at just the blank good. stares on the faces of the children. Look at the one in the back doing, like, the... <laughs> <laughs> what are they running away from? No? Squawkabilly? Squawkabilly is coming to get him. Yeah, I mean, it would make sense. That would be a predator or something, right? Would it? Squawkabilly, a predator. It's a bird against a mouse. Birds eat mice. All right. Solidarity as the ability. If this Pokemon is in the active spot and is damaged by an attack from your opponent's Pokemon, put three damage counters on the attacking Pokemon for each of your tandem mouse and mouse hold, including Pokemon EX, in play. And then it's got the attack, Greedy Fangs, for two colorless, draw two cards. Yeah, this card is kind of interesting, but yeah, go ahead. Okay, so you can combo it. I didn't think about this the first time I read it and, like, talked about it. You can combo with Zorark, so you can have six in play. So They are taking um, 180 damage when they they hit you. So, that's cool. There's Um, the other Tandem Mouse, too. Uh... A mouse hold, I should say. Yeah, mouse hold. Is it with an A? Mouse with an Why? A. I don't know. In a new tab. I'm falling apart here. It's got the uh, family attack attack as a one prizer. You know, I mean, this could be a decent little one prize option, I guess, right? 70 yeah. damage reach of your mouse hold in play. It does actually have to be this mouse hold, so it doesn't count mouse hold EX. Are you sure? Isn't EX not part of the name? It is part of the name. Uh, that's why this one. Of, oh, level that's X. why this one specifies including Pokemon EX. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it is it level X's that where it wasn't part of the name? Yes, it was their okay. level because all Pokemon back then had levels. Are you sure it doesn't count it? Because it just like it. It doesn't. Some, all right. I thought it like it was just up to. So even though there was the EX afterward, you thought, all but right. you're wrong. And the last card to talk about, actually second to last card to talk about here, which is the biggest card to talk about and will definitely be a very good card in the format. I think it'll be meta warping. It'll just be, it'll add depth to strategies in the decks. It's the counter catcher. We've seen it before. We've got it back. Um, as long as you're behind on prize cards, you may switch one of your opponents bench Pokemon to the active. And it's an item card. Yes, yeah, so we've had Countercatcher before. It was a really good card before. It never felt broken, though, right? I can't think of a time where Countercatcher, like, it was out, like, the 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 time I used it the most and, like, had the most fun with it was Countercatcher in Zoropod. You could do some really cool plays where you go Countercatcher something, end them to one, knock out their engine or whatever it might be. Um, so that's when I had the most fun with the Countercatcher, but it's back, and uh, I'm excited for it because, yeah, it never felt broken in the past. Probably won't feel broken now. It'll just add more depth to strategies that decks can apply, and and kind of work with so i'm excited for the counter catcher yeah the gold counter catchers sold out on tcg player literally instantly as soon as this card was out they were gone and now it's 50 dollars. <laughs> yeah um and also like speaking to counter catcher a little bit more over the last like two years or so i've come up with a lot of deck ideas where i'm like man if only i had counter catcher 
in this deck. This would make this deck good, or this idea is good if Countercatcher existed. It's here now, though. So hopefully, I actually come up with some good ideas. Can actually put those ideas to practice now. Um, in- that's never my thought. Whenever I see a reprint, I never think go buy the gold version. Like not in terms of because I don't play with gold cards, but. To be honest, it's an easy flip. If you get in there at the yep. $4 counter catchers, turn them yep. around for 40 bucks. Like, yep. but that's never my thought process immediately is like, yo, go buy all the gold cards. <laughs> like, uh, but it is for a lot of people because, yeah, they're gone. They're all gone. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, I, I guess I'll just say too, like, this makes, like, it's obviously like strong in, in like stall strategies and stuff like that. But like, as we'll said, there could just be other decks that make this card, this card could yeah, they be were, playable. And it does seem, it was kind of funny. Like, in the post worlds, not this world's last world's uh announced TCG and uh future announcement video, they were like comebacks are gonna be a priority in like the upcoming gameplay that you see from the Pokemon TCG. The new or it's gonna be a factor. Yeah. yeah. And then it was like we got reversal energy eventually, and it was like, okay. And then they're like, I oh no, and now counter catcher. So they're really hitting it, and they actually they meant what they said. So it was like really cool to see. Cause at first it felt like okay, reversal energy is bad with like i mean it's good in guardy but like that's literally it it's um, it is cool that there are things in the format that make you think twice about whether or not it's worth taking the prize card right that's yeah. definitely cool it's usually correct to take the prize card but not always sometimes you get correct correct to spread damage with sableye because your opponent bench locked themselves and just keep just stop if you're if you're winning you're going to be losing soon so stop or your winning. opponent's out of switch carts <laughs> and you want to play around roxanne so you just spread yep. damage yep yep like that and this one i was actually super scared of because immediately when i saw this card i knew what it was but it's not very good it's the snorlax <laughs> you knew what doll. it was but you didn't know the yeah. extra little part that makes it not good at all <laughs> yeah so it's a snorlax doll we've seen cards similar to this it's a item card that you can put into play as a basic pokemon and when it gets ko'd your opponent doesn't draw any prize cards and this one has 120 hp the last two have had 30 hp in lily's poke doll and robo sub but Snorlax doll can only be played on your first turn during setup. So it sucks, thankfully. Because I don't think you're going to run four of these in a deck, so you can hope to start with one and put it in play uh, and then have three-day cards in your deck for the rest of the game. I don't know. I guess if you, we have Kramomatic still, so maybe. Um, but yeah, thankfully, this thing is not Lily Spokey doll or RoboSub with 120 HP. That would be scary. This is the Snorlax doll, and I like Snorlax doll because it's bad. Yeah, I think, yeah, so Azul sees just this Japanese fluffy just, doll yeah. card get revealed <laughs> and sees the the only part of the card he can read, 120, <laughs> and then sees a wall of text, and he's absolutely shaking in his boots, terrified, and then breathes yep. a deep sigh of relief. Actually, dude, I was like, dude, this is going to be too good. Like, Because I knew it was going to be a Lily Spoke Doll or RoboSub type card, right? Just right. based on how it looks. I was like, it's going to be... When your opponent chaos this, they're not drawing a prize card. I was like, it has 120 HP? I was like, dude. Yeah. Thankfully, the wall of text makes the card bad. We're all good. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah. And... I can't remember what I... Yeah, this card's just... Yeah, I agree. <laughs> not good. <laughs> and with that, we can move on to the next page of new cards a couple more to look at here yeah just a couple you don't want to talk about the tinkaton here right you just want to talk about tatsugiri yeah, tatsugiri it's a pretty cool one it's a dragon type basic pokemon with 70 hp no weakness no resistance one retreat water gun for one water does 20 damage big damage Good. and then survival strategy for two colorless search your deck for up to two cards 
and put them into your hand. Then shuffle your deck. You may switch this Pokemon with one of your benched Pokemon. Yeah, so pretty good control card. I think between this and Countercatcher, we say this what a lot you... on the show. Sander gets brought up a lot, but I think Sander's like, all right, we're back. <laughs> what are you running to? I don't, anything. Norlax stall. Okay. <laughs> Azul's laughing really hard at his own joke right now, put by a, the way. Put a bravery charm on the Snorlax doll. <laughs> 170, Tatsugiri run. Literally, like, Mimikyu, Klefki, like, there's block Snorlax. This card's not going to be that good, I don't think. I think oh, it's right. fine. All right, prove him wrong, Sander. Yeah, it. and Sander probably will. And we do have another new card. Crobat here. Stage 2, Darkness-type Pokemon for two colorless. It's got free retreat, lightning weakness, fighting resistance. Its first attack does 50 damage for two colorless. It is Mad Echo. Choose item cards or supporter cards during your opponent's next turn. They can't play any of that type of trainer card from their hand. It's kind of a so, situational lock control type card. Yeah. And it is on a stage two. So I don't think it's going to be good. Although you could add it into like the Crobat Raticate deck that uh, I was cooking the other day on stream as like a one of another another Crobat option. Uh, but I think it's just cool. It's just a really cool effect. Like it's a really cool attack. That's all I want to point out with this card is that they're doing, they're putting cool things that make you stop and think about cards on more cards, I feel like, as we were progressing, you know, in the evolution Azul of the Pokemon I, TCG. Azul and I were kind of together whenever this card first, whenever this card uh, leaked, we, we first read this card. Uh, and I was like, dude, this effect literally exists on a card currently. And he was like, no, it doesn't. This has never existed on a card. <laughs> and I'll let you guys be the judge of who was right, who was wrong. But you admit it, but Chip did admit I think, being wrong. I think it's a push. I think it's a push, you know? I no, was right about we're one not aspect. Going next. You, you know, we're, good luck in your next round. We'll move on. <laughs> there is this Vile Plume from Lost Origin that has the Allergy Storm attack, 90 damage, and it does have an effect that allows you to limit your opponent from playing supporter or item cards, but you don't get to choose like you do with Crobat. It is flip a coin. If heads, they can't play supporters. If tails, they can't play items. So I knew it existed. I knew it existed. Just a but little considerably, different. Considerably worse. Considerably worse. And one last card. Take a look at tank decks. This They might be back. Because we got that Defiance Vest. If you have more part, prize cards remaining than your opponent, more reasons to lose at the Pokemon TCG. The Pokemon this card is attached to takes 40 less damage from your opponent's attacks. Yeah, I mean, just like, a, that's a powerful card right there. 40 less damage. I mean, we've got to be losing the game, but I assume our deck is built for that, whatever this is on, you know? Armor finally you'll definitely be losing. Ooh. <laughs> I was going to say Heatran VMAX. Bro, Heatran VMAX is, like, almost good. It has been, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're almost there because it's got it's got a ton of HP. 330. Heals with its ability. It heals, like, 50 yep. with its ability. 50 with its ability. We're losing the game. Defiance Vest. Minus 40. Counter Catcher. Counter, yeah, trap something in the active, maybe. I don't know. But yeah, this is a cool tool card. Also, I mean, once again, with like some control deck where you're just always losing the game, or some of these, like put this on the Ursa Luna. Dude, what? What is yeah. this? I just scrolled down card. on Poke Beach. What is this comment? Defiance Band. Pretty mid item three. <laughs> they just typed the number three. So just because Defiance Band was mid, Defiance Vest also has to be mid. What the heck? Maybe they're rating Pretty it a three item. out of ten. Three out of ten. So let us know 
in the comment section, what do you rate yeah, Defiance of Essay? Rating? Yeah. Out of 10, is it a three or it's a little bit higher? <coughs> Let us know. Comment section down below. Well, those are the new cards that are going to be coming out pretty soon in Paradox Rift. One more thing, I guess, about Oh, soon. The, I'm excited. Yeah. One, one more thing about the potential like linked up release dates one thing the thing i think i enjoy the most about it by the way chip didn't want to talk about the linked up release dates and here we go we've already talked about him but he's ready to go for some more because it's so we've exciting we've talked about it so much man we've talked about but it, so it is exciting it is like it a is exciting it is exciting all right go ahead but I'll the thing that i think i'm most excited for is the fact that you know usually a new card gets revealed like at least this is how it has operated for the past like six years that i've been around i guess i've been around longer now at this point but um it's operated like this ever since I've been playing the game um, where a new card comes out in Japan and then we play with it three to six months later for the first time. Like okay, we don't well, get not it that, like two to three months. Sometimes it is six months, dude, because like sometimes, sometimes a card, sometimes a card comes out and it's oh, like yeah. some specialty promo card in Japan. And then it's like they have to try to figure out how to cram it into a set somewhere over here in America or put it in a promo box like um so yeah i mean yeah i guess two months to you know four or five yeah, yeah, yeah. six months maybe something like that maybe two months is more fair but now the fact that like a card comes out and we only have to wait a few weeks to play with it that's cool and we actually get to go through the process that they go through in japan of coming up with the new decks whereas like before they kind of did it before us and it's not like a terrible thing but you know there's more opportunity for us to play bad decks which sounds pretty cool right there's more opportunity for us to like play the bad decks He's and discover so they're bad on our own. Play your bad decks, bro. I've been having so much fun with now that like Lost Box was so much less on the ladder, um, and Charizard was like the biggest thing on PDCG Live ladder. Like it really, it, it really shows that Lost Box is like the gatekeeper right now. To yeah. be honest, because when you go on ladder, like Lost Box and Lost Tina were definitely the two gatekeepiest decks. Because when you go on ladder and those have kind of fallen off, you can play all these these meat these like lesser decks, and you can be because everything has the, high stats and just decent damage output, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's just nice to, yeah, I don't know. It's just nice. It's nice to be able to just play like bad Pokemon decks, but not go, you know, one in 99 or something in 100 games. Like it's just nice to be able to like win games with bad Pokemon decks, you know? Whereas before, it's, been, it's, it's felt like it's been a while since that has been a thing. All right. Well, that is going to do it for this week's episode of Uncommon Energy. Thanks so much to everyone for listening for your support as always if you want to do a little extra to uh, show your support feel free to leave us a rating or a review or a comment a like whatever depending on where you're watching whether it be on youtube or listening on your favorite podcasting platform all those things go a super long way to uh to help us out we really do appreciate it we are about to get into our bonus episode here on the patreon i forgot to mention it at the start of the episode but yes every week we do a bonus episode of 30 minutes on our Patreon. If you want to listen to that, hop on over patreon.com slash uncommon energy podcast. You can find, uh, if you want to stay up to date with us, the best place to do that is over on the website, formerly known as Twitter. You can find myself at chip, Richie Azul at Azul underscore GG. And you can also find the podcast at uncommon underscore energy. Appreciate the support as always. And uh, we'll catch y'all next week. Should be back on schedule on Tuesday. I'll definitely nope. be home. All right. We'll catch y'all on Wednesday. Yep. Instead. Catch y'all on Wednesday. Back-to-back -back Wednesday episodes. Have a good one. See you next week on Wednesday. Peace.